your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. And he couldn't center. They get it, they shoot it, and they score! Petrangelo spins it rink wide. Blues come back in again. Shin down the middle to Cairo. They score! Tarasenko scores for the Blues. Puts him on top, 2-1. to Rink wide, the backhander. Score! Empty net goal for Ivan Barbashev. And a 3-1 to St. Louis lead. With a minute 12 to go in the third period. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was on the Blues radio network last night as the Blues get a big win. I don't know why I struggled there, Alex. The Blues radio network. Blues hockey. Blues hockey. (laughs) They get a big win last night. And Alex, the biggest thing for me, this feels like a team that already has its identity. Like I watch these games and I feel like I kind of know what to expect already out of All right, humor me, BK. What's their identity? Well, they play a heavy game. Alex, you may have heard of this before. It's going to sound pretty familiar. They get great goaltending. And the thing that has already developed... You don't believe that second one. I do, actually. We'll talk about that here in a minute. You can tell me why I should believe in Jordan Bennington. (laughs) (laughs) He looks great on the bench. 3-1 win last night in Vegas. The other thing that has started to develop, they're a better rush team than I think they've been in recent years. When they get on odd man breaks, I expect them to score. Like, I I know during the intermission last night, one of the things that they mentioned was Brandon Saad a little too aggressive in the first period. Don't take that away from him. I want to see more of that. And we saw it later on. He scored a goal off of it. Um, I think right now what you're watching with Clem Costin is really impressive. What you've seen so far in the first three games of the year from Jordan Cairo is a guy that is built on the player that he was a year ago. Last night, you saw Vladdy Tarasenko getting in on the action as well. This team is deep. They play heavy, but they also have that blend of speed that Doug Armstrong's been talking about now for years, and we're finally starting to see it show up on the ice. This team's a lot of fun to watch right now, man. The speed's coming from the defense, and that's why you're getting the rush. I mean, they're playing the five-man unit. They're they're circling. They're forechecking really hard in the off or in the offensive zone. But that's starting from defense. I mean, go look back at that game last night. Justin Falk, Tory Krug, Colton Pareko, Jake Wallman. Those guys were out of the gates as soon as the puck touched their stick. And, and frankly, that, that hasn't been how they play in the past. It's more so you get the puck on your stick and you dump it and then you go chase after it. That's not how the Blues play right now. The Blues play in terms of the defense is going to make you think. Now it's going to bite you in the ass a couple of times. Like last night, 
Vegas scores their goal because I think it was Justin Falk that pinched in. Might have been uh, Jake Wallman, so I apologize. Wallman had a good game last night. He did. He went up in the rush, the defenseman, and Brandon Saad, who's not used to this style of how you have to protect the defenseman, Saad went in as well. So then, lo and behold, that leaves Tory Krug all by himself. You get the two-on-one odd man break. William Carlson comes in. But look, Bennington made the initial stop. It was just that rebound. But the reason they're, they're, they're a better rush team is because they have the defenseman that can jump up into play. Mike McKenna said to us yesterday, guys, the game has evolved into speed from your back end. And I think that's what the Blues recognized when they signed Tory Krug and brought in Justin Falk and gave an opportunity to Jake Wallman. But from that end of it, the Blues are just a team that never lets you breathe. I mean, it's like trying to swim in the ocean in the middle of a hurricane. The waves are going to continue to pour on top of you just when you think you can get some breath. And that's what you saw last night. Ryan O'Reilly's line, boom, hits you for four shots on goal. Then the next time you're going to have Tarasenko coming down with Robert Thomas. Then it's Braden Shannon and Jordan Cairo. You never feel like you can get away from this Blues offense. That's why, in my opinion, after watching this team for three games. Cup, cup, right? No, not cup. Calm down, buddy. I do think that they are the best team in the Central Division. I think there's reason to believe it. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to listen to you more than I would have at the beginning of the year because we're seeing proof of concept. And we had heard about what this team could be. Does if that they mean were... you just don't trust me? No, it just yeah. means I like to see stuff with my own eyes instead of trusting you. It's totally different, Alex. I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> the same thing. I, I've been impressed by the way that the young guys have already been able to assimilate themselves to this system. And the same thing is true for the free agent acquisitions. I mean, I know we didn't see Pavel Buchnevich last night, but the first two games, you've mentioned this a few times, Alex. He was one of their best players, and that line was the best line that they had, that second line that they've got constructed right now. I also think it's really important that we've seen them win in multiple ways. Last night was a very different game than what we saw from them in the first couple of games. Last night was a back and forth. That's That was really exciting hockey to watch as like a fan. hockey. It was fast. It was physical. It was back and forth. You got some great saves from both sides. That could have easily been a 6-5 game. Mm-hmm. It really could have. And the fact that you're able to win in so many different ways, and we're already seeing that early in the season, that portends great things for the playoffs because you're going to have to win a 5-4 to four game, and then you're going to have to turn around and win a one nothing game. And if you can win both of those, okay, This is a team that can make a deep playoff run. And I know we're three games in. I'm not trying to get out over my skis here, but this team had real expectations coming into the season. And now we're starting to see what we had heard so much about. And it's not just me. When I heard John Kelly earlier today on Carriker and Smallman, and he said this, Alex, it even raised my ears a little bit more. They've got, to me, more forward depth than on any Blues team I've ever seen, quite honestly. And it's really fun to watch. Um, you know, they scored three goals last night, and quite honestly, could have had six. Uh, Robin Leonard was amazing in goal. Um, but this is a fun team, Danny. It's really it's really uh, exciting to watch so far. No he doubt. Said, he said it says, I forgot to cut that Who part out. Who is that? <laughs> he said this is as deep a, a forward group as he's ever seen. Man, John Kelly's been doing the games for a minute. He's seen a lot of Blues hockey. doing it longer than a minute, BK. He's seen a lot of Blues hockey. Damn. And he's saying that. So it's not just me overreacting in the moment. There are people that come with a heck of a lot more credentials than I have that are saying the exact same thing. I was telling Andrew Marsh, who was our uh, producer and engineer for the broadcast last night, where do you put Sunquist when he's healthy? 
Who are you taking out of this lineup? From last night's, I'd say Neil. Neil. And, and I the can, problem is, what about when we throw in Buchnevich? Yeah, I was going to say well. Neil's only in for Buchnevich. I'm not taking the reason I'm asking this because I'm not taking Clem Costin out right now. I mean, we know the answer, right? Do we? You got to trade Vladdy. If he continues playing this way, that's that's where it is. And then you upgrade somewhere else. Well, and, and that's going to be the interesting development. And, and I had so many messages on social media last night. Of, oh, you can't trade Vladdy when he plays like this. The Blues, my text. the Blues have no say. I blocked your text. The Blues have no say in this with Vladdy. This is all Vladdy in terms of does he want to be here? Does he not want to be here? But if Vladdy's playing like this, this just makes the team even more dangerous. So... I was just, I was fully impressed in all aspects of this game last night. In my opinion, Marco Scandello is one of the best defensemen on the ice. And that's coming off of an Arizona Coyotes game where I felt like he was not a good defenseman. He was very strong in front of his net, and he was a plus two with Colton Pareko last night. Guys, Clint Costin is playing with the utmost confidence from a training camp that he even said he was not good. He's hitting everything in sight. I think what Costin is doing is seeing how much Craig Berube loves Jake Neighbors and is saying, I can do this, and I can score. But then you got Jordan Bennington. Remember Greg Wyshynski telling us, uh, what was it, last week, that Bennington's one of the better goaltenders in the NHL over the last few seasons when it's a one-goal game. He stopped 42 of 43 shots last night, and frankly, he made that first save on the goal, and then it was just the rebound and a two-on-one. The reason I'm so high on this team after only three games is because every aspect is clicking right now for this team, which, frankly, I haven't seen since the 18-19 season. You mentioned Bennington, how great he was last night. There's no disagreement here. And I know I've been painted as the guy that dislikes Jordan Bennington. That's not the case. I just... I think there is fair questions to be asked about what happened over the last couple of years. That being said, there's... I mean, what we've seen thus far from him is super impressive. And Vladimir Tarasenko was asked about it last night. Here's what he had to say about Bennington's performance. I think everybody play hard. Um, I think um, Binner deserves the most credit. Um, the D's play well. Binner play, play outstanding um, so far this season. And uh, he was great tonight. Um, he saved us in the key moments of the game. You know, don't let them score goals. And uh, he was awesome. He's seen the fifth most shots on goal so far this season among goaltenders. And the guys that are ahead of him have two of the four have played one extra game and out of those four he's allowed one more four, five less goals than all of those goaltenders Jordan Bennington and, and frankly if you were to ask his teammates they let him down in that Arizona Coyotes game because that Coyotes game probably should have ended 7-1-7-2 but they allowed Arizona to get back into this hockey game I feel like Jordan Bennington has something to prove this season. And I feel like a lot of this is also because one, the bubble's not in play with him. And two, he actually has fans back in the building. I think that's really impactful with a guy like Jordan Bennington. You know, you know how I bring up the high danger stuff, right? Cause mm-hmm. that's the, those are the really good chances for the blues, for the opposition. Those are the really good chances. Nettle it. Absolutely. Jordan Bennington has saved 22 of the 25 high danger shots against this year. That is of the guys that have seen that many shots. It's the highest percentage in the league right now in all of hockey, like full stop. That that's outstanding. If he continues playing like this, the blues are going to be a cup contender. That's where we're at right now with this team. He looked outstanding last night. He did so against a very good opponent. 
an opponent that was, again, without two of its best players. We should mention that. That does not take away completely from what they were able to accomplish against the Golden Knights. It's just the small disclaimer that pops up on the bottom of your screen. I never read those anyway. Like, if it's a choking hazard, whatever, I'll figure that out myself. Makes a lot of sense. That was a big win for the Blues. And now you get to play L.A. for a couple of nights. And L.A.'s a pretty decent team as well. It's not as easy as that makes it seem because they're going to be tough. Next Thursday against Colorado, that's when we're going to be able to see what this team is really all about. I hope if they're actually back to full health. They are today, apparently. Landeskog's on the ice, and so is Jack Johnson. So. Well, fingers crossed they stay that way because I would love to see the Blues go up against them with Pavel Buchnevich back in the lineup. Both teams at 100%. That could have a playoff type of atmosphere here in St. Louis. Yep. That's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. The Blues right now look like a team that can really compete. They made all of the offseason moves that we wanted to see from them, and now we're seeing what that looks like when it's playing out on the ice. 11-14, your time. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We'll talk a little bit more about the Blues coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. Is this the Vladimir Tarasenko that the Blues are going to get the rest of the season? And if so, what does that mean for his trade request? We'll get into that coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. But coming up next, what does the next Cardinals manager need to do in order to one up what we saw from Mike Schilt's tenure? We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. So Mike Schilt got a lot of criticism when he was the Cardinals manager. From who? You. <laughs> Brandon. Brandon. He also ended up having quite a bit of success. Went to the NLCS, two straight back-to-back wildcard appearances for him as well. Won 91 in 90 games in his two full seasons as the Cardinals manager. And now he's been fired. And that puts a lot of pressure on whoever the next manager is going to be. Yesterday on Carriker and Smallman, Michelle uh, was talking about what it is going to take for the next managerial hire to be a success. Alex, here's what she had to say. You'll know it's the right hire when the confetti hits the field. <laughs> That's exactly right. Because you're not going to do better than Mike Schilt unless you win the World Series. You're not going to do better than Mike Matheny unless you win the World Series. Mm-hmm. That's the only way. And and you're not going to say it's the right hire unless that manager performs better than the past two hires under John mm-hmm. Mosellock. And the only way to do that is when the confetti hits the field. Exactly. Do you agree with that assessment? With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario. Ben Heisler's joining the show in about 10 minutes or so. Do you agree that the only way the next manager hire, whether it be Skip Schumacher or Stubby Clapp or Ali Marmol, Michael the, B. Jordan, the only Luxo way Walter. that they are considered a success is if in the next few years they win a World Series? I don't agree with that. Um, I, I, think, I think it's important to see the manager take another step after Mike Schilt. And look, he went to an NLCS in his first year, but then it was back-to-back wild cards. Yes, there were 90 and 91 wins, but if a manager comes in here and wins the Central Division in his first year and gets to an NLDS and then loses in the NLDS, but then the next year he's second in the Central Division and they go all the way to the CS and win the CS, I'm looking at that as a successful manager hire. I'm I'm looking at that as, okay, well, this guy obviously knows what he's doing. Mo made a right decision. It's not World Series or bust, in my opinion, for the next manager. Now, I think he has to win a World Series in this window, but as long as this next manager comes in 
and has more success than Mike Schilt, I'm not going to look at that as a failure. And more success than Mike Schilt is not winning a World Series. It's taking a step beyond what he has done. And frankly, he got to a CS once. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one. I think you have to win a World Series in this window, in my opinion, for us to deem the manager successful because he's going to be given the perfect opportunity as long as Mo makes all the right moves. Now, if we look at it and we say, I don't know if Mo made all the right moves, then I can kind of understand sure. having to change my opinion. But it is going to be tough to kind of overdo Mike Schilt. Four years, 252 and 199 with a 559 win percentage. I mean, that's hard to beat. I mean, that's really impressive. But I, I think you have to win a World Series with this window. And I know that Mike Schultz kind of took the quote-unquote step back from the 19 NLCS. But let's be honest. In 19, we didn't think they really belonged in the NLCS. They overachieved. They overachieved. 2020. It was Craig Berube's success in 19. Like, he took over yeah. midseason and he, he rejuvenated a group of guys. You look at 2020 and you go, okay, yeah, wild card game. But he got them through COVID. And let's be honest, I don't know if that roster was really all that talented to make a deep postseason run. I look at this year's roster. Sure, they got hot late in September. But the fact that what we saw the roster earlier on in the year and the way Mike Schill was able to get them just through the wild card game, they went up against a 100-win Dodgers team. So... I think that was about as successful as you could get from this season for the Cardinals. If they got past the Dodgers, then maybe it's a little bit different of a story. But I think heading into a winning window and what a roster that I believe is going to look like a roster that you look on paper and say, that should be one of the best teams in the National League for the next two, three, maybe four years. To me, you have to win a World Series if you're the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. I push back a little bit on the 2021 because what were we talking about when they made that playoffs? This was a gimme. Like they let they opened it up for more teams to get into the playoffs. Like in a normal season, I don't think the Cardinals are making the playoffs in 2020. I agree with that, but I, I think you have to go based on what you're given. And if you're if you're saying that in oh, 2020 is eight playoff teams, okay, he got them in. I get it. Normally, that's not a playoff team that he had. But you have to give some credit from based on what the criteria was for that season and the circumstances but, they went through. But that's why I pushed back a little bit, BK, and said like I don't think it has to be World Series or bust for this manager. I think if this manager comes in and is able to get to two World Series in four years, maybe he doesn't win one, but he gets there twice. I think people are going to be looking at that as, okay, this was the right move. They're going in the right direction. I think for me, it's less about what Mike Schiltz did and more about what the team's going to be because I think given the talent discrepancy, the Cardinals will be better over the next three years than they were over the last three years. Like if Mike Schiltz was the manager in the next three years, the expectations would have been higher than what they were for him over the last three seasons. And so do I think that the next manager has to win a world series for this to be a success? No, but I do think he's got to have a lot of success. Like you should win the division at least two of the next three years. Agreed. You should be getting to the playoffs in all three years. You should be getting to at least an NLCS, maybe beyond that at some point in these postseasons. And barring something unforeseen where you're dealing with injuries similar to what the Dodgers are right now, like this, the, the Dodgers are a better team, in my opinion, than the Braves. But the team that we're watching right now is not better than the Braves because you don't have Clayton Kershaw. You don't have Max Muncy. You're not about to have Justin Turner. Like this team has been decimated by injury. You could say the same with Atlanta. They don't have Ronald Acuna Jr. Fair, but they also were able to have time to be able to go out there and get four outfielders, whereas the Dodgers have not had the time to be able to replace their current talent that's not on the the field. Checkmate, Ferrari. Um, But if barring something like that happening... Yeah, the Cardinals are going to be good enough, or they should be, over the next few years to make some really big runs. And so it, it it's hard for me to say, like, hey, World Series or bust, 
but it does have some of that feeling. It does have some of that feeling. So I, I'm I'm doing my typical sit on the fence here where I don't think that it is fair to hold the next manager to a World Series or bust expectations to be better than Mike Schiltz because I don't know that Mike Schiltz would have been held to those expectations. But it's something pretty close to that. Here's the thing, too. I don't even know if the manager is even going to be under fire with this next move. Like, I don't even know if people are even going to be concerning themselves with the manager. It goes above him. It goes above him, and it goes next to him. The two people that are under fire this season are Jeff Albert and John Mozeliak. That's a good point. So Ali Marmal, if he's the manager, comes in here and he misses the playoffs, I don't think people are blaming oh, Ali Marmal. You shouldn't have brought him in here. It's what did the hitting do? Because we're going to blame Jeff Albert, and it's what moves did you not do in the offseason, John Mozeliak? You know what I think changes that is if they take a step back defensively and if they're a bad base running team. Agreed. Those are the things that cannot take a step back because if they do, that is a direct reflection of, hey, we miss Mike Schilt when it comes to the defense. We miss Mike Schilt when it comes to not making a bunch of outs on the bases. Those are the two things that I think will change that. But barring those things taking a step back and you have some such good personnel, I don't expect it to be the case. Um, barring those things taking a step back, I do, I do think you're right that it's going to be more. I think you can add in the pitching coach as well. I think Mike Maddox, I think Jeff Albert, and I think the general manager, president of baseball operations, those are going to be the people that have the most pressure going into 2022. I think somehow that whoever the manager is is going to get tied into that, and I don't know how yet because I won't know how the season plays out, but I do believe no matter if this team struggles, somehow it's going to get tied to the manager, and I don't know exactly how. I'm with you guys. It's going to be all MO. It's going to be on Albert and Maddox, but somehow it all comes back to the manager as well, and I think part of the reason that I think it's World, I expect a World Series from the next managerial hire is because what's the expectation from Cardinals fans no matter what the year is? It's you win the NL Central. That's always the expectation. I don't care if I look at that 2020 roster and I say that roster wasn't good enough. I still think the expectation was somehow the Cardinals need to find a way to win the NL Central. So if I'm heading into a winning window, winning the NL Central, that's good, but I expect that every year. It's a minimum. Getting, getting to an NLCS that's good, but I kind of expect that every year. That's maybe an unrealistic expectation, but I think that's what Cardinals fans expect. We expect to be one of the top teams in Major League Baseball every year, so I expect the Cardinals to be close to an NLCS every year. That's why I think this next hire heading into a winning window with some of your top prospects coming up, $60 million coming off the books this year, I think it tells you the next two, three, four years, this is the winning window, and I expect a World Series, and I think that's how a lot of Cardinal fans expect it too. I think you're absolutely right that a lot of Cardinals fans expect it, but it's a lot easier said than done. I mean, you look at this Dodgers team over the last eight years. They've been the giant in the National League. You know how many World Series they've won in that time? One. One. They've been to the NLCS, what is like five straight years or something like that? Been to the World Series in three of those? They've won one World Series. It is so incredibly difficult to do. And this is not me excusing anything, but it's just explaining why my expectations. It's hard for me to say, hey, if you don't win a World Series, you have failed. It's so hard to say that because of the way that the baseball playoffs are constructed, but the expectation should be a get to one at a minimum. You know, you, you got to win the division all three years. You've got to give yourself the best chance to do it. And the best way to do it is by avoiding the wild card game. The best way to do it is by constructing your team in a way where once you get to the playoffs, you got all of these different arms that you can use and you feel tr- like you trust in any given spot, the players that you have coming to the plate. 
And that's all on John Mosaylock. And then it's on the manager to be able to deploy them in the way that best utilizes that talent. And I think maybe the other thing that comes into my thinking of this process, too, and I could be off on this, too, but I look around the rest of the National League. The NL Central, we've talked about it. Three of the five teams rebuilding, you don't know about Milwaukee. And then you look at the NL East. The NL East was kind of a crapshoot this year. Are the Braves going to be good? Yeah, they're going to be good, but I don't look at them as a juggernaut. As we just talked about, we look at the Dodgers as a better team. I look at the Dodgers, there's a lot of questions if they're kind of starting to hit this end of their, their not their winning window, but their dominance in the National League West. Uh, Andy McCullough, on with the Dame Actual with BK yesterday, said, you know, you look at the Giants, can they really do this platoon system again? Because a lot of guys want to play 120 games and be an everyday starter. You look at the Padres, they're in turmoil. Everybody else in the NL West, they're rebuilding. So, I mean, just that thought process, there's no reason not to be one of the top teams in the National League. And I think that comes with the expectations, not just what you have internally. You look at the rest of the National League, and there's a lot of big question marks for a lot of these good teams that are there now. The reason I disagree with Michelle Smallman when I heard that is because I I don't think – I I think if, if this Cardinals team comes into 2022 and they win the Central Division and they get to an NLCS and they get beat in Game 7, I think people are going to be saying Mike Schill too. I think they're going to be on board with whoever that yeah. next manager is. I think if they miss the playoffs, then you're going to be sitting there going, dumb move, John Mozeliak. But it's not World Series or bust, in my opinion. I also think a lot of this is going to come down to what Mike Schilt does in his next step. Like, if Mike Schilt is the manager of the the Padres next year and they end up being the same team that they were this year where they win like 83, 85 games, I think people are going to be like, oh, so maybe Mike Schilt wasn't the savior that we all thought. Not that we all thought. That some people thought that he was going to be. Um, if Mike Schilt end up, ends up going out to San Diego and they're great, they win 95 games, win the National League West, and they eliminate the Cardinals in the postseason, the NLDS, yeah, that's when you're going to be saying to yourself, or we're all going to be saying, oh boy, that might have been a mistake, and then the expectations get get raised that much more. It, it's weird, but it's almost like a... Randy A effect is what I would call it. I don't yeah. know if there's other terminology for it. Yeah, it's almost like a, you're you're comparing yourself to what he does in his next uh, team, which might be a little unfair because the players are different, but I think that's the reality. Whoever is going to be the next manager is going to have to also, it's a parallel track. You're, you're looking at what the Cardinals are doing and also what are they doing out there? It's almost like what's been happening with the outfield in recent years. It's not just what your guys are doing. It's also, hey, what's Randy Rosarena doing? Oh, Adolis Garcia is doing that? Oh, wait, Randall Grichik's hit, hitting bombs every night? It's a parallel track that you're uh, you're looking at at all times. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, I want to ask Ben Heisler if he expects this weekend Derrick Henry to break the single-game rushing record. We'll talk to him about it next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Questions and answers coming up in about 10 minutes or so. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line if you guys have any questions. But right now, Alex, yesterday we were talking about Derrick Henry potentially being a Hall of Famer, and I brought up the idea of Hey, man, I feel like he could break the single-game rushing record on Sunday. I don't feel like it. He will break the single-game rushing record. They're going up against the Chiefs, and the Chiefs' run defense is all-time bad. And right now, we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to talk with the expert Ben Heisler joining us here on the show. You can follow him on Twitter, at Benny Heis. Heis, we always appreciate the time, man. Is Derrick Henry going to break the single-game rushing record on Sunday? (laughs) 
<laughs> First of all, I'm glad you didn't make the transition of speaking of all time bad. Here's Ben Heisler. <laughs> no, we only do that with BK. You, you were too quick on your feet. I didn't think of that one. <laughs> all right. Perfectly. Fair enough. Uh, I don't think he's going to break the record only because I think the Titans are going to have to have more of a downfield attack to hang with Kansas city. The total in this game is sitting at about 57. Um, we've seen some books. I, I know you guys work with, with FanDuel. They've moved it. I think at times to 57 and a half. Uh, but I, I just think at some point, you know, the run game can be so effective with Henry and it's obviously a mismatch against Kansas city's defense, but because of the downward field ability of Mahomes and Kelsey and Tyree kill against a very bad secondary in Tennessee, uh, they have a good pass rush, but I think Mahomes is crafty enough to be able to get the ball out by himself some time that I, I just think you're going to need more than Derrick Henry. And even though he might run for, you know, 150 yards fairly easily, I just don't think the type of carries and time of possession that Tennessee is going to want to have will happen just because they're trying to catch up with Kansas city. So, you know, if you're playing fantasy sports or daily, um, I, I think a good opportunity to, to zag when everybody else is zigging right now is to take Ryan Tannehill and AJ Brown and Julio Jones when everybody is going to be riding on Derrick Henry. Well, the good thing is Derrick Henry will be zigging and zagging all over the Chiefs this uh, coming Sunday. <laughs> and that got BK to laugh, Heist. That means it's a good dad joke, in my opinion. Since we're on the running back conversation, <laughs> are the Browns done as a contender? Because no Nick Chubb, no Kareem Hunt, and no Baker Mayfield. You're basically telling your fan base that, hey, Case Keenum and um, I don't even know who. Dearnest Johnson. Okay, that main, that name is made up, but those two are going to lead you into the promised land. Yeah, Dearness Johnson sounds like a creative player from, from Madden, doesn't he? Like that's sort of the, the it, name that's like, what? It sounds Dearness like the Johnson. key it sounds like the key and peel skit on Comedy Central. <laughs> I, I think all of those are, are fairly legitimate. I, I just don't think Cleveland is done. There's still too much talent on this roster. Remember, you know, their their defense has had some unbelievable games. They've also had some times where they've really struggled particularly uh, in stopping big plays down the field. But to be honest with you guys, that was kind of expected. You know, Cleveland ended up bringing in, I think, eight of 11 new starters on the defensive side of the ball. So there were going to be times where guys were out of position and they were trying to figure out sort of what came next. You know, the game where they had nine sacks against Chicago, that was just because the Bears played right into their strength. You know, I, I think for the matchup today, you have a, a Denver team um, that also is trying to figure out what their identity is after getting off to a really good start both on the offensive side of the ball. Teddy Bridgewater was, was completing a bunch of passes of over 20 yards downfield, uh, but they've been dealing with injuries. They're trying to figure out sort of what their best path is moving forward. Bridgewater himself is dealing with a bit of an injury. He's not going to be particularly mobile tonight, although he's likely to start it. I wouldn't say the Browns are done by any means. It's a, still a, a recent, it's a division that I, I think they can hang around in. Uh, because Pittsburgh isn't as good as their three and three record. The Bengals probably are going to come back down to earth just a little bit. Um, and remember Baltimore could have been five and it could have been two and five in, or excuse me, one and five this year, as opposed to five and one, they've had plenty of opportunities where they've really gotten lucky. So I, I think Cleveland hangs around because their pass rush, because guys like Kareem Hunt, and Nick Chubb are going to come back. They're still a dominant run team that has a very good offensive line. So I'm not ruling them out by any stretch. I'm happy to hear that you're on my side of that argument. Heist. I, I tried to explain that to Alex yesterday and he just wasn't happening. But real quick, Heist, that you're taking the Broncos over the Browns tonight, right? I think so. Just okay, because good. there's still too many moving parts Take and that, if Bridgewater BK. plays. 
Well, and if Bridgewater plays, I mean, you guys know that he's, he's Teddy covers for a reason, especially as a road underdog. And Teddy Bridgewater almost always covers the spread. Uh, we've seen the line move a little bit. I was able to get him at plus three and a half before some of those injuries came down. It's right now sitting about uh, Cleveland minus one and a half at home. And, and I know that we've laughed at Dearness Johnson, but if you look at his projections, he is projected for almost 60 rushing yards in this yeah, game. Play him tonight. That's more. That's right. That's more than Javante Williams. That's more than Melvin Gordon. So he's going to be an integral part of what they're trying to do on the offensive Hell side no. of the ball. I'm going up against him in fantasy. I hope yeah, he sucks tonight. You should put him in your starting oh, lineup. You and if he's available on your waiver wire, you should go ahead and pick him up. He, sh- he shouldn't be available, but if he <laughs> is, go ahead and grab him. We're talking to Ben Heisler of Betsided here on 101 ESPN. Heis, uh, kind of piggybacking off of that conversation we just had about the Browns, we are talking about this yesterday, looking at the AFC. I feel like you can go ahead and lock in the Bills, Ravens, Titans, Chargers, and Chiefs as five playoff teams this year. If I told you you got to come up with who the other two are, though, I think that's where it gets really difficult. If you had to kind of make the case right now for the two leading contenders other than the Bills, Ravens, Titans, Chargers, and Chiefs, who would you put into that next category of your two favorites to get the final two spots in the AFC playoffs? Well, this is this is tough, and I'm probably the worst person to ask this because I thought the Colts were going to win the AFC South division this year, and they got off to a terrible start. And I also was the guy predicting at the beginning of the season that we'd see three playoff teams from the AFC East with Buffalo, New England, and the Miami Dolphins. That's been an unmitigated disaster, and we'll see whether or not you know they end up trading for Deshaun Watson. There's been some reports, uh, according from John McClain of the Houston Chronicle, that he might end up in Miami as early as the end of the week. But I, I think if you're looking for a couple teams that might have the ability to, to sneak in, I, I think you kind of look right in the AFC North. Cincinnati has done a really nice job there. They're plus 37 in net points this year. Uh, Burrow, for all the concerns about him this offseason with his lack of mobility and, and trusting himself coming off of the, uh, of the ACL surgery, he's been terrific. Uh, their offensive line has played far better than, than a lot of people thought. And they're getting pressure on the quarterback, which has been the, the Bengals' biggest issue over the course of the season. So if you're looking for where those teams might come in, uh, I think it's probably the AFC North, where maybe a lot of people thought it would be a very competitive race. I still don't trust Pittsburgh. Uh, that team just has no identity on the offensive side of the ball. I still think Big Ben is done. Uh, if you're going to get a couple of these surprise teams, I still think Cleveland hangs around. I'm not ruling them out yet. And I think you really have to seriously consider Cincinnati sneaking in as that final playoff team. Hi, speaking of Tua in Miami, if if Deshaun is is actually going to end up with the Dolphins, who should be calling about Tua as a quarterback? That's a great question. I, I think if you're you're trying to figure out sort of what those next steps might be, uh, I think Pittsburgh could be a really intriguing spot for him, right? Like they don't really have a plan. Dwayne Haskins was, was brought in. That's the possibility. There's also been some some reports that the Washington football team could be involved uh, as part of a three-way trade to be able to get to a Tagovailoa. And that's another team that, you know, unless you're trusting Taylor Heineke to be the guy moving forward, they're likely going to be picking in the draft. But it's crazy. Like most of, most teams right now kind of feel like they have – an identity set at the quarterback spot. Um, you know, if you're Minnesota, you're probably moving on from Kirk Cousins. Do you feel like uh, Tua in that offense makes a ton of sense? Perhaps he has a little bit of mobility. Uh, he can go ahead and, and run that sort of play-action offense where you cut the field in half. So I think those are a couple teams, but I think he probably, if the move ends up going through, I'd say Washington makes a lot of sense, and maybe for a team like Pittsburgh, who still believes 
that they're in a championship window because of their defense and because of some of their offensive playmakers. Final question for Ben Heisler of Betside joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Heis, if you look at which surprise four and two team could pull off a straight up upset this weekend. So the Titans against Kansas City, the Chiefs are a four and a half point favorite in that one or the Bengals traveling on the road to Baltimore, where Baltimore is a six and a half point home favorite. Which one's more likely to pull off the upset the Bengals or the Titans? The, the Titans, purely based on what you just said, they're at home. They have the advantage in their ability to be able to run the ball on Kansas City. Um, if we're talking about like covering the spread, you know, I, I think Cincinnati has a very good chance to hang with Baltimore in this game. But if you're talking purely based off of an upset pick, Tennessee makes plenty of sense. I know the Chiefs got a bunch of confidence back, and their defense played really well in the second half uh, last week. But it, Tennessee is just set up really well for these types of games with Kansas City. Remember, they played them tough before. Eventually, just too much firepower from the Chiefs. Um, I, I just think that the level of variance in this game is much more likely to either be a Chiefs blowout or a Titans close win versus Ravens and Bengals. I just think that's going to be a really close, compelling game throughout. So if I had to choose an upset, the, the Titans are better suited to beat the Chiefs. But if I'm going for a team that I feel more comfortable covering the spread more consistently, I'd actually take the Bengals. Well, that's nice to hear. So Alex is going to go ahead and change his picks on his 101 ESPN Pick'em accordingly. Hi, so we always did. appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. We'll talk with you again next week, my man. My pleasure, gentlemen. Be good. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Ben Heisler. You can follow him on Twitter at Benny Heis. Also, check out his work over at BetSided, where he is the managing editor. What's the game that's given you the most trouble this week whenever you're talking about the pick'em? Well, it was the Broncos and Browns, but, but not anymore. Not anymore. I'm on Broncos now. The other one is the Dolphins and Falcons, because I'm amazed, frankly, that 74% are picking Atlanta over Miami at home. I know Miami just lost to Jacksonville, which is about as bad as it gets. But they were without two of their best secondary players, and both are assumed to be healthy this week. So that's the one I'm struggling with because I just I can't go against that. Tanner, is there a game that's giving you the most issues? Bengals Ravens for me is a tough one, and then I also the one for me is Eagles Raiders because I think the Eagles. Rams. No, <laughs> I, I like the Rams in that one. On the Rams. He's the one percent on the <laughs> yeah. Lions. No, no, no. I wouldn't pick against my boys. I I do think the Eagles could go to Las Vegas though and beat the Raiders. So. That one I'm kind of stuck on because I'm not 100% sold on the Raiders. That one has shootout written all over it. Yeah. Like 42-35, that type of a game. The one that I'm looking at that I'm, I just don't know what to expect is Indianapolis versus San Francisco. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that game. Indy, I thought, was dead in the water. I thought it was over for them. And then last week, they played really, really well. And, and San over Francisco's th- winless at home. Yeah, they have not played particularly well. And I think it looks like Jimmy G will be back this week. Um, at least that's the expectation right now. So we'll see what that looks like. And Carson Wentz, I'm one of his biggest detractors. He's played well the last few weeks. He's completing like 70% of his passes over his last three starts. He's averaging eight yards per attempt on the year. He has nine touchdowns, one interception. It's a pretty good year. He's played the last few weeks. That's fair. That's, that's a start. Are you guys thinking what I'm thinking? Texans take down the Cardinals. Because Deshaun Watson returns? Oh, boy. No. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers here on BK and Ferrario. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Here 
separate service sex line for questions and answers. So we were just having a conversation off air. No, we were having a damn argument. The coffee crisis is what it was. So Tanner went on a coffee run. He went to the break room, grabbed some coffee. And I said, Tanner, would you mind grabbing me some while you're over Thanks, there, buddy. please? Mine's empty. Oh, and, and Tanner said yes. First of all, he brought it back in a red Solo cup. Yeah, first of all, who drinks freaking coffee in a red Solo we cup? We were out of the other cups. You know hot coffee burns plastic, right? So that was the first no-go. Is that why uh, my head's been hurting lately? Yeah. yeah. Oh. I've been drinking plastic, bro. Secondarily... He brought me black coffee. Now, to be fair to him, I did not say sugar or creamer or anything. Six five seven eight zero zero comfort service X. I would love to get our listeners' thoughts on this. Is that the go-to? Like, if somebody else says, "Hey, will you grab me some coffee?" Do you just assume that they would like some creamer and sugar, or do you assume a black coffee? That's what you're going to get. Well, let me or, ask you a here, question. I got this. Or do, you assume coffee. or do you assume they're a real man and drink it black? Okay. Well, we don't do that. Or, or woman, either or. That's true. I know plenty of my sister, frankly, goes straight black coffee. If you drive through uh, one of my favorite spots, Dunkin' Donuts, to get coffee, if you order just a large coffee, what do they say to you? That's fair. You want sugar or cream? Mm-hmm. And if you don't say, I want sugar and cream. Well, yeah, but that wasn't a question that Tanner asked. Tanner didn't follow well, when up When you with that. order coffee, you say, I'll take a coffee, one sugar, one cream. This is no drive-thru. Like so it's my- a drive-thru. He's running yeah. to the coffee spot. Yeah, and also, I was going to just get on my own and was in a hurry because I knew we were coming back. When you order coffee. And I got slowed down because BK couldn't go get his you, own coffee. That's true. You do have legs, my man. Damn, this is bad. Our entire you, text line's just blowing me up. When you order <laughs> coffee, you got to say, hey, don't mind some cream. By the way, I'd like a follow-up because we all know BK is the man who hates fall. He hates Halloween. BK, what kind of cream would you just put, your, put in your coffee? I wouldn't have chosen this one, but Tanner said... This is what I've got. So he did grab some creamer for himself. Did not grab any creamer for me. Now, my, now what, my coffee's not as good. What kind of creamer's one. in your coffee, BK? It's, I think, pumpkin spice. All right, there got? we go. The man who hates Halloween, everyone. By the way, I don't appreciate the ripping on the red Solo cup because that's... Uh, who cares about the Red Solo Cup? Red Solo Cup. Okay. <laughs> I fill you up. Let's have a party. With BK coffee. hates country music, so that's why he's not singing along with us. He hates pumpkin spice Halloween and Hunt hates country music. 65780 is the air comfort service. Oh, what are we doing? <laughs> From the 618. Only BK, the biggest wimp on the radio, would ask this question. Touche, sir. I'm fair. Fair critique. Tough, but fair. I'm 26 and have drank black coffee since a teenager. Everyone makes fun of it. We're the real men. Amen, 618. I just took a sip of my coffee. Not as good because it's only got one creamer in it. <laughs> Unbelievable. You're not a real man, according to the 618. No. I just can't drink Folgers black. I've got no problem with black coffee. I just thought it was interesting that he brought himself some uh, creamer and did not bring any for me. I know what my order was. All right. From the <laughs> 314. Hey, guys, I saw yesterday that uh, there was a quote from Bob Huggins who said that he thinks Huggs. that the NCAA tournament should go away. There should be no more mid-majors involved. And he wants to only have power five teams in the NCAA tournament. Do you think that would be a good idea Bob must for college suck basketball? against mid-majors. <laughs> No, I don't think that would be a good idea. That, that ruins the fun of March Madness. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole the whole purpose of March Madness is you, it's it's so uncertain. And you realize that some of these schools are actually D one schools, right? And they get into the tournament and then they beat somebody. It's not like the like, College uh, of Pharmacies rolling into the March Madness. Wait, are they D one? No. Oh. Yeah, man, they might be. No, they're not. But it, but yeah, I I would hate this idea. That's kind of why I want to see the college football playoff expanded where we let some of these non-power fives in because it's fun. 
What's the worst thing that happens if Cincinnati gets killed by Alabama? Okay, I expected that. But if Cincinnati beats Alabama, it's like the best thing I've ever seen. So, Bob, just because you lose to mid-majors doesn't mean we got to get rid of them. Man, someone's angry when he gets his second creamer stolen away. No, I You're a jerk, BK. This is on me. I apologize. What makes the tournament what it is is the Cinderella stories the opening weekend. Right. Loyola of Chicago is why the tournament is so uh, beloved. We can leave them out of the Maybe tournament. Maybe Bob doesn't like Sister Jan, though. Tanner's saying that because he's an Illinois fan who loses to hey, Loyola you probably, you probably don't want, what's their name, North Dakota State, South Dakota okay, State? Okay, that was like 10, 10 15 It was Norfolk ago. State, all right? And that, that oh, was sorry. a bad moment. It was like 15 years ago, man. Move on. This is... The, the thing that makes the NCAA tournament so special is that you have these smaller colleges that have the chance to be able to go on a special run. And without that, it ceases to be the tournament that we all love. So Bob Huggins, I, I think he's a really good basketball coach. This is just a terrible idea. I understand why he do, why he's saying it is because he's a coach at one of the bigger universities and it hurts his chances to continue to have long-term success when he's going up against these teams because they might beat him. And that's not good for his success moving forward. But no, you, you should absolutely not get rid of the smaller schools in the NCAA tournament. That'd be a horrible, well, horrible Bob idea. just needs to hug it out. Yeah, oh, I like that. That was good. Uh, how big a field would it be then? Like there's what, six? It's 68 it's not like right now. So you I know go there's 68 now, but... Four? No, I'm thinking. It'd I'm thinking if you get rid of the mid majors and all that, retract. because like there's oh, how many six? Because college basketball, there's like six majors. Yeah, it's like the big six. The big, big East, East is, is included one of them. in that. You so have to go to like what sixteen teams? That wouldn't be as no. fun. They're, they're, you're basically doing two weeks of it, then not an entire month of it. That's that's the part that's dumb. Like it's a ritual to have every weekend dedicated to March Madness. Yeah, it, it's a terrible way to it's crown the, the most deserving champion. But it's oh, here we go. Get that from Bob. No, I mean, it's it, it's more fun, though. Let's call it March Mayhem. That's what it is. That's what it is. We have had this branded a specific way for, like, what, 70 years? Okay, well, look, some things need to change. change. What change. if we change something that is ultra successful change from is March a Madness thing. to March yeah. Mayhem? Change is good. Ask I'm sorry. Would you, like to, would you just like to wear the same pair of underwears every day, or do you change them? Depending if it's my lucky pair. Yeah, I mean, are the Cardinals playing and it's my lucky pair? Then I got to wear them. 160. Is that why games. it always smells in here? It might be one of the many reasons. With Alex Ferrario, Gross. Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. In about 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of Believe It or Not. But coming up next, let's flip the conversation. We've talked a lot about the players that are available out there and which ones would provide the biggest upgrade for the Cardinals. Let's look internal for a second. Where do they need the biggest upgrade? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. Red Solo Cup. I fill you up, let's have a party. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. I mean, I think the lesson is just assemble as many good players as you can. It's the same lesson that the Dodgers have done. Uh, it's the same thing that the Rays have done. Um, you know, some, to some degree, it's what the Red Sox are trying to do. I mean, I think it's just, you know, depth is the way to 
form a great baseball team in this era. I mean, it, you, you saw it when Atlanta had uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. go down this winter. You know, Alex Anthopoulos did not go get one single outfielder to replace him. He got four. And I think that that is what, you know, the, the, the cutting-edge teams, for lack of a better term, in this era are, are how they're handling problems. Like, it's just buy in bulk and, you know, utilize as much depth as possible. That was Andy McCullough of The Athletic on the Danny Mac Show yesterday with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. In 10 minutes, we'll get into a game of Believe It or Not. It's 12.06. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. So that's something I would love to talk about, Alex, is so what is the best thing for the Cardinals to do this offseason? And most of the time when we have these discussions, it turns into, okay, which free agent should we go shop for today? Should we get this guy that's $10 million, this guy that's 30 this guy that's 5 What do you call me, greedy? Yeah, no. 50. No, we're not getting the guy that's oh, 50. We've, no, we've just, Scherzer's out. Yeah, we've determined that. We have a lot of those conversations about who's available externally. Let's let's look inside. Let's look at who's currently in the organization because I think this is part of what they're going to have to do is, okay, it's not just about who's out there. It's also about what we currently have. And that's going to determine what we want to go out and acquire. So you look at what they have internally, and Brad Thompson talked about this yesterday on the fast lane. But he made a really interesting point in particular on who they could use as options for their designated hitter next year. I brought Juan Yepes up for a reason. I, he was slugging in the minor leagues. You get, you had to protect him anyhow, so they ended up putting him on the roster. Well, that's a right-handed option. And I got Nolan Gorman, who I know the traditional sense is in, hey, you have a young player, you got to plug him in in a position. Don't just pigeonhole him at DH. Why the hell not? Like, if my team is better because of it, then great. If I, if I, if I got a better team because Nolan Gorman is ready to play, hit at the big league level and I know that Tommy Edmond has a better glove at second base, why wouldn't I do that? Like, I, I could go big league minimum on two players on that spot and then shift all my money the other way. See, I think that's a really interesting point right there, Alex. Uh, and Because he agrees with you. Absolutely. You know that that's how I work. So right now, if you're looking at some of the bench bats, some of the DH options, you've got Juan Yepes internally. You've got Gorman. You've got Newt Bar. You could potentially still go out there and acquire some low-hanging fruit free agents like Matt Duffy or Corey Dickerson or Cal- Cole Calhoun. Those guys could always be available for you. You look at what you've got right now at shortstop. Paul DeYoung and Mundo Sosa, those are your internal options. And then you flip things over onto the pitching side. And we know the the veteran names that we'll all talk about. The top four in your rotation is basically set with Wayno, uh, Michaelis, Flaherty, and Dakota Hudson. Got one more spot there, and then you've got a bullpen that you've got to fill. And the guys that make a lot of sense for that internally are Reyes, Liberator, Thompson, Hicks, Oviedo, Woodford. Those are some of the names to think about. When you look at all of these names that have been bandied about, Alex, What's the spot when you look at those where you're like, okay, that's the one that I trust the least. That group of players I trust the least going into next year. Is it the DH or bench bat options? Boy, that's a good question. Or is it the shortstops? Because I think that's where the conversation gets really interesting is because whatever you trust the least, that should be where you're looking to upgrade going into next year. Well, I would cross the pitchers off of this list. Because I actually trust the pitchers more than the other two categories. Because I look at the four that I have there, and granted injuries pop up, nobody can predict that. But the four guys that I'm going in with, I feel pretty damn good about with Wayno, Flaherty, Hudson, and Michaelis. And then on top of it, if you're telling me Zach Thompson would be my last option, and before him it would be Jordan Hicks, but before those two, you're telling me I have Libator, Oviedo, Woodford, and Alex Reyes? 
I felt pretty darn good about the guys that I have as options for that fifth. So pitchers I would count out. Honestly, I think if I were to pick one that I trust the least, it would be the shortstop position. I, for one, am against you on the Gorman as the DH. And, I mean, it's me. BT's played the game, so he knows. But I just don't know how I feel about a 21-year-old as your everyday DH player rather than just getting them some reps. We've talked about this before. But I feel good about the three of those guys as my bench options and then adding in a Matt Duffy, a Cole Calhoun, something like that. I don't feel comfortable going into this season with Edmundo Sosa and Paul DeYoung as my shortstops because one, we've seen multiple seasons in a row that Paul DeYoung has performed this way. And two, I don't know if I can believe Edmundo Sosa is going to put together the season he put together in the partial season last year. I think mine's kind of on this list. Mine's not. Mine is more of bullpen pitchers that we don't have. I, I like the pitchers that you have as like starting rotation options for you because I do like uh, Jake Woodford. I thought Woodford looked really good at the end of the year in September when he got called back up. Uh, you look at Matthew Libertor, he looked awesome in AAA. I think he's ready for the next step. So I have some faith in that the Cardinals' starting pitching depth is actually going to be there this offseason or, or heading into spring training this year. Shortstop I do have concerns about, but I think Sosa can be a good everyday shortstop for you. Probably not offensively. He's probably a 7-8-9 hitter for you, but he can provide a spark and he can play good defense. So I would feel comfortable with that if they chose not to go sign a big shortstop name. This is the most excited I've been about some of these young bats that are coming up from the minor league system in a while. So I want to see them have a shot. Do I have faith in them? Maybe not so much, but I want to see what they have. And if they struggle, I can go get somebody at the deadline. My biggest concern in the way that the front office appears to be approaching this season and you know the philosophical differences we saw between them and Mike Schilt, I think you need to go load up on bullpen arms because I think they're going to move away from, all right, we need starters to go six, seven innings in the regular season. I think they're going to become more analytically driven, and we're going to see less starters, maybe even Adam Wainwright, go through the lineup a third time less. And I think if you're going to do that and you're going to convert Reyes to a a starter. I don't know how much faith you can really have in Jordan Hicks as a starter or a reliever. You have to go find some of the cheap bullpen options and load up on a lot of those and really solidify your bullpen depth. Because you look at the minor, you look at the minor league system. Sorry, it's my coffee. It's not very good. Uh, you look at the minor league system. There's not a lot of good arms in the minor league system that are quote unquote bullpen arms for the Cardinals. And I get it. You can convert a starter into that role. But usually you want to have that train of guys going from Memphis to St. Louis that you can just keep rotating in and out for that bullpen spot. And that year, this year they didn't really have that. Junior Fernandez was really struggled. Uh, you look at Ryan Helsley, you could option him down, I believe, but he really struggled. So that's where I want to see. I want to see them really load up on bullpen arms this offseason. Mine's a shortstop. That's where I, I trust the options the least. Damn, can I change mine? <laughs> I think I think there's some truth to what Tanner's saying. And I do think they're going to have to go out there and find bullpen options for them. But I think those are going to be in the same category as Matt Duffy and Corey Dickerson and Cole Calhoun. I think that's the market that you're going to be shopping in for both your bench bats, if you want to go that route, and also for your relievers. Because this team isn't going to go out there and make the same mistake that they've made with uh, Greg Holland and Andrew Miller. They're not going to go give big money, whether it be on a one-year deal or a multi-year contract to relievers anymore. I don't think. I wouldn't expect that to be the case. I think they're gonna you're gonna see guys on one year deals that are worth like three to five million dollars, and they're gonna come in and they'll find out who works. And if they don't end up working out, DFA them and move on, right? Because you can, because that allows a little bit more flexibility as the season goes on. I think that's what you're gonna see from them in the pitching regard. When I look at these though, for whether it be the swing guys in your rotation, so the the middle relievers slash back end starters, 
I kind of like the ideas of Reyes, Libertor, Thompson, Oviedo, Woodford. That Those five guys, most teams would kill for those to be your fourth or fifth starter options. And for the Cardinals, those are your fifth starters or long relief options. So I love having those guys available for them there. And I totally agree with BT. If this team goes into next season and you have Juan Yepes and Nolan Gorman and Lars Newt Barr as your bench bat options with somebody else coming in as a bench bat like Matt Duffy, for example, I think that's a fine bench. I really do. If you make maybe one more upgrade somewhere uh, on your bench and maybe it is just Edmundo Sosa is the other guy, I I think that's pretty solid. But the place where I still think you need to upgrade is that shortstop. And this is where you go to the market and you see, oh, well, this is the place that we need to upgrade the most. There are five of them that are really good available to us. If I can go out there and bargain bin shop for another bench bat and for another few bullpen arms, I think there's one thing that they need to do that's a major upgrade, and that's at shortstop. I, I think the ideal, and tell me if you guys agree with this or not, I think the ideal offseason kind of picture for me right now is... I'm going to wait out the market for that shortstop and see if like Trevor Story drops down around that $20 million range. When we had Robert Murray on the day, match with PK, he said he thought he could get a three-year, $18 million deal. I would sign up for that, and I think the Cardinals would too. So my ideal offseason is let's see if this market plays out for the shortstops and we get someone on a deal like that. Let's go add maybe one more starter like a John Lester that maybe wants to come back that can provide some veteran depth, and then let's go load up on bullpen arms. I will give the kids a shot on the bench, and then if they struggle at the deadline, I'll, I will go look to get that upgrade. That, to me, is the ideal offseason for the Cardinals. What happens if those bullpen arms don't turn out for you? Uh, well, then I think you can make I think you can make moves to kind of sl- fix your bullpen but again. Look, turn- look what they did this year. I mean, they didn't— Right, but then you're turning back to your offense— and the reason that this team faltered this year was because your offense couldn't come up into the big situations. I think before you sit here and say we got to retool this bullpen and make sure we have all of these guys to throw so our starters can only go five innings. Looks, if you're going to go that direction, your arms are going to be destroyed midseason. And I think you're going to be in a bad spot. Whereas I think if you are able to turn to your offense and say we need you to win us games this season. You How re- would you guys feel about Liberator in the in the bullpen this year? Uh, maybe not at the beginning of the year. I want him yeah. to be stretched out as a starter. I, I'd rather go the Lance Lynn theory where it's towards the end of the season and have him be a weapon for me in a postseason run rather than maybe to, like August. I would yeah. consider bringing him up as a bullpen. I don't want to ruin him as a starter because he, oh, he no. has to be in my rotation moving forward. The reason I bring him up is because as I'm watching the postseason and I see so many of these teams that have very young p- pitchers that are out there in these big games for them. I mean, they're everywhere. You look at the Red Sox. They've had some very young starters that have done incredibly well for them. You look at the Dodgers, Julio Urias. It's not this season, but a couple of years ago, he came up and I was like, whoa, who's this guy? And how did he become such a weapon for them? I wonder if Liberator could be that for the Cardinals next year. And so I, I don't know if it's on opening day. I don't know if it's midway through the season, but he's the type of player that I think could be a real weapon for them in that role that you're talking about, Alex, where you do need a little more length out of your bullpen. I think he could help you there. I think Jake Woodford can help you there. I think Alex Reyes can help you there. Um, I think you've got some real options to be able to give you length coming out of the pen. And that's really hard for most teams to be able to do because they don't have the same depth at the top end of the minor leagues that the Cardinals have currently. If I'm retooling anything this offseason, it's adding more bats so that those young guys don't have to carry a heavy load of being the saviors for this team offensively. I want to get another guy who can be a part of this 
everyday system and then implement guys like Gorman, Yepes, and Newtbar as complementary pieces. They need to be they need to be the, the the sauce on top rather than the main ingredient. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're going to get back to this coming up in the one o'clock hour. I want to hear from you. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. We got the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. What do you guys want to see this Cardinals team do? When you look at the current options that are internal. Where's the spot that you feel is the biggest upgrade that they need to make? We'll get back to that coming up at one o'clock. But coming up next, let's get play a game of Believe It or Not here on BK and Ferrario. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Suddenly I'm up on top of the world. It should have been somebody <laughs> else. Just sing it. T-Bone can hit that note. BK, eh, I prefer you just to hum. It's, it's not really do what, is it? No. No. B- T-Bone can hit that note. Well, yeah, he's 17. BK's ruining my... Whoa! Are you, saying, are you saying puberty hasn't hit for him no, yet? No, it'll take a little bit. Okay. Hey, I agree with this text, by the way, earlier. Damn it, BK, you screwed the star with the creamer. Get your own coffee. Tanner's <laughs> golden tones need to be highlighted and hydrated. That's Thank weird. you, Tex. The person's obsessed with your mouth. That's weird, man. I respect it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's play a game of Believe It or Not. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's start it with this one. Believe it or not, Jordan Cairo will lead the Blues in points this year. Say it. He has seven through the first three games. Second on the team right now is Justin Falk with four. I'm going to not believe it because Justin Falk will lead the team in points. I couldn't even get that one out. Uh, I'm not going to believe this one. Uh, What I want to see is I want to see what happens when Jordan Kyra goes through that dry spell because that's what he did last year. Last year, he started off with an unbelievable start with Braden Shen and Jaden Schwartz. And I came up with a wonderful nickname of Shenru that turned into a phenom in the National Hockey League. Um, Then he dropped off a bit. I want to see what happens when that does with Jordan Kyver. The one thing that he doesn't have that we haven't seen yet that Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron have, that even when they're going through dry spells, they still find ways to come up with points. So I'm not going to believe that. I also believe there are so many mouths to feed on this team that you're going to see a lot of guys that are on the same par with each other rather than one guy being better than everyone else. See, I think I'm going to believe it, and I, I'm with you. I, I I think there are a lot of guys that are going to be really close into this list, but I think the only guys that have a chance to beat him are O'Reilly and Perron. Maybe Sod. I'll put Sod in that conversation. I think Bucinavich has a real shot to beat him. I mean, you could throw like six guys into this mix, which is why we're so excited about the Blues. But the reason I don't know if Perron and O'Reilly are going to do it is because though Perron's looked good in the first three games, you can tell he's hurt. And and I think it's kind of slowing him down a little bit. And I think that might be enough to where Cairo... I think Cairo's going to have a very consistent season. Sure, he's going to go through a dry spell. But for the most part, I expect him to have a all-around 82-game pretty consistent season and i think he'll lead the blues in points here's the thing you gotta remember Kyrie's on the second power play unit not on the first that's where a lot of those points come from but the only reason i bring that up is when tarasenko if tarasenko gets traded it wouldn't surprise me if Kyrie goes to that first unit i also love the line that he's on and the consistency that all three of those guys bring like yeah. playing with Braden shin is going to help Kyrie with the consistency a ton this year totally and him having a line where it's not guys going in and out and in and out I, I think he's going to lead this team in points. I think he's got a real shot to do it. He's an unbelievable skater, and we're starting to see, even more so than last year, I feel like, he's been unlocked. 
in ways where it's like he he's just playing his game. The game that he played in the minors, I think we're now starting to see that in the NHL. And I, I remember Dan used to say this a lot about Tyler O'Neill, where he would say, hey, I would talk to people down in AAA and they tell me about how he's this gold glove defender and he's just incredible when it comes to uh, his hand speed. Everything is there. Everything that he needs to be a star at the big league level is there when he's in the minors. And he gets up to the NH or the MLB not playing the same way. He's not playing as confident. I feel like Kyrou played pretty confident last year for the most part, but it, there was still another level for him to get to. I think he got there this year. So I'm going to say I believe it. I think he has a real chance to be able to lead this team in points, so why not? He's earning the respect of Craig Berube, too, because Berube's putting him out there in bigger situations, which is very meaningful for a guy in his ice time. Next one for believe it or not. Believe it or not, Jake Neighbors will play in every game that he is healthy for this season for the NHL club. So does that mean he plays unless he's injured? Correct. I'm not going to believe that. There's, there's, he's not going to play all 82 games. If he's healthy, like he'll be a healthy scratch for some games. Cause every young player is going to go through a bad outing here and there. And frankly, he's 19 years old. Like if I'm not mistaken, junior hockey teams, let me double check this. I, I think their seasons usually consist of like 30 games, something like that. Oh, maybe not. He played 64 in 2019, 2020, 82 is a long haul. And that's if he stays healthy. So I'm not going to believe this. I think you'll see some healthy scratches for Jake neighbors every once in a while, but I do a hundred percent. Remember when I said 99%? Yeah. I'm a hundred percent sold now that Jake neighbors is going to be with this team all season. Yeah. I'm with you. I think he's going to be with them all season but I'm not going to believe that he plays in every game because there's the funk. And you see it with uh, every every kid in the NHL. We'll go through that dry spell. And yeah. what does the coach say? Hey, look, we want you in the lineup. You're playing. You've played really well all year for us, but you're getting into this kind of bad habits. Yeah, you're on this with, cold streak. They did it with Thomas in the 1819 yeah. season. He and was we'll bad. Go up into the press box. And it used to be, I don't know. I think Ott at one point was up there. I don't know if they still have yeah. someone up there that kind of yeah, walks was, them through what they're seeing. It was out when, um, when they had, I think it was when, Mike Yo was the head coach, or no? Yeah, Mike Yo was the head coach, and Craig Berube was on the bench with him, along with Mike Van Ryan, and Ott was up in the press box. You're right, so, T Bone. I think there's somebody that'll sit up there and kind of sit with him. I, I think that's going to happen, and it's not a bad thing. I think it's just something that happens to every young kid. So I won't believe he plays in every game. He's healthy. I'm with you guys. I'm not believing this. I do think he's going to go through at some point this year a dry spell. He's 19 years old, and he doesn't play like he's 19, at least not thus far. But we're going to get into January. The games are going to change a little bit. They're going to get a little more physical. And I, I do think at some point we'll see some struggles from him. And he'll break through. And he'll end the year on a high note, hopefully. But, yeah, I don't think he's going to play in every game that he's available for. Believe it or not, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Believe it or not, we can go ahead and stop the Tarasenko trade talk because he's going to be here for the rest of the season. I'm not going to believe this. Part of me wanted to believe it because if Laddie's a part of this team and they're, they're a serious cup contender, why wouldn't you want to go elsewhere? And that's the question I've been posed by so many people. And I know we're going to get into this a little bit more, but it's not that he had problems with players or coaches. He had problems with the medical staff. That's what the report was. You don't just change that because things are going well. What happens when he gets injured? Well, guess what? You got to go to the same medical staff. So he could play out of his mind this season. I think that only helps raise his draft stock or his trade stock. Now, maybe Doug Armstrong goes to him and says, look, play the season out with us, win a cup, build your stock to the highest, and we'll trade you in the offseason. Maybe that's happened, but I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it either. I think they're going to move him because I still think they need a big body defenseman, and I think he's the guy you move to get that piece back. So 
I, I think they will move on from him. And to your point on the medical staff, I think in the first two games, and I don't know if you guys thought this as well, I thought he looked hesitant to go into the boards. I, I really did. I thought he looked like he was hesitant to get battle for pucks in the boards because he seems a little wary of the shoulders still. I didn't see that last night, but I thought that maybe in the he first two games. last night. It was he impressive. He was awesome last night. He was like that in that first game, though. Like, he went to the net a couple of times, and he was throwing his body around. I mean, he definitely didn't look as hesitant as he did last year when he returned towards the end of the season. But, I mean, last night... Last night, I think, was Vladdy's coming out party of like, hey, NHL, I'm back, and this is why. I'm not believing this either. He's got clear, irreconcilable differences with the organization. Philosophical differences. Correct. And those suck. Those are going to lead to him continuing to demand a trade. I don't think this has anything to do with his teammates. What you saw at the end of the game last night, I think, showed you everything you needed to see. When he scored that goal... And he ended up going over to hit Petro before Petro was able to get to Shin. That's a big moment. That, was that matters. That's one of those inflection points of the season where it's like, oh, we might not place as much emphasis on a th- on something like that. The team does. Yeah. That stuff matters. So Especially I after a team bonding trip. I don't think that he's going to be here the entire season, but I do think he's going to be here longer than I anticipated because I I didn't even think he would be here now. All right, last one. <laughs> 65780 Zero Comfort Service text line. Guys, believe it or not, the Cardinals will bring back at least three of the pitchers that they added in season this year. So we're talking about Luis Garcia, TJ McFarland, Wade LeBlanc, John Lester, Jay Happ. At least three of those five will be back next year. Believe it or not. I'm not going to believe it. I think I could see one, maybe two, and those guys are one of the starting pitchers, LeBlanc, Hap, or Lester, and TJ McFarlane. I think Luis Garcia is going to be too expensive, and frankly, I don't see a couple of those starting pitchers wanting to come into a role of, oh, well, you're going to be a depth piece, possibly in Memphis, possibly in our bullpen. So I'm not going to believe this. I can say I would believe one of those three. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to believe it either, even though I think they should bring back at least three because I think they're going to bring back Lester. I think they'll bring back McFarland to be another lefty out of the pin. I think Garcia will price himself out of the Cardinals range, but I think the Cardinals should still bring him back. So I'm not going to believe it because I just don't think the Cardinals will do it. I'm going to believe it. I think they bring back three of them. I think it is the two bullpen guys that we mentioned with McFarland and Garcia. If I was to say one of them that I actually might not be back, I would say McFarland is less likely than... Uh, Luis Garcia. I think they view it as we can find another guy like McFarland if need be. So we're not going to overspend for something like that. But I'd like to see both of them back. And then I do think they bring back either J-Hap or um, John Lester, depending on what the prices look like, depending on what those guys really want. But I think they bring back three of them. So I'm going to go ahead and believe this. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kyle. We're going to dive into the junk drawer coming up at 1245. But next, if this is the Vladimir Terrace Blues get the rest of the way. Then what? We'll tell you next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. And Rick Wide Blues come back in again. Shin down the middle to Cairo. They score! Tarasenko scores for the Blues. He had an excellent game. I think he had seven shots on net. You know, scored a scored a big goal. And, you know, for me, it was his attack, his skating, taking people wide, jumping the holes, strong on the puck. You know, uh, all the things that you know he's capable of doing. He did tonight. 
Vladimir Tarasenko had a little bit of a breakout party last night against the Vegas Golden Knights. That audio courtesy of the Blues Radio Network right here on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. Alex, I think the question that a lot of Blues fans were asking last night as they were watching Vladdy in that game is, wait, what if he continues doing this? What if this is Vladimir Tarasenko, the guy that we get the rest of the year? Because he looked excellent. He was at times, maybe for the entirety of the game, the best player on the ice. He finished the game leading the team with seven shots on goal. He had, I think, 11 overall in the game. He was outstanding, and he finished with one goal. He easily could have had at least one more, maybe two others. And I left thinking, this looks like a top six forward that the Blues are playing for the majority of the season in their bottom six. If they're able to have that, you have that overqualified guy on that third line with Robert Thomas. That opens up a whole heck of a lot of opportunities for them. What was your reaction last night as you were watching that? And what does this mean for Vladdy moving forward? Well, my rea- my reaction was surprised because I was kind of with Curbs' reaction yesterday when we asked him his thoughts on Vladdy so far. And it's just been meh. I, I mean, he's had some opportunities. Uh, that first game against Colorado, that is kind of what started that comeback for the Avalanche of a turnover he had at the power play, which led to a, p- a penalty kill. Um that was a different Vladimir Tarasenko. That was a Vladimir Tarasenko that said, I'm back, Michael Jordan style. And, and he, I mean, he went out there, he was hitting everything. And we talked about the identity to open up the show today. That was the Blues' identity. I mean, they finished every single check possible. It felt like Vegas looked like what San Jose looked like after their their conference finals uh, back in 1819. So if Vladimir Tarasenko was back to his old self, he could be a 40-goal scorer again for this team this season. What does that mean for this team? Frankly, that means, in my opinion, they're the clear-cut favorite in the Central Division. They would be this year what Colorado was last year. Everyone was picking Colorado because of the depth, right? Their third line had Brandon Saad on it, who's a 20-goal scorer. Their second line had Jonas Donskoy, who was a 30-goal scorer for them. Like, they went four lines deep on you, and you felt like there was no end to be had. That's what the Blues can be this year, because if Vladdy's playing on your third line, it means Pavel Buchnevich, Jordan Cairo, Brandon Saad, and David Perron are all playing better than him. And if they're not, well, Vladdy's going to get bumped up like he did last night. He's, he was skating with Shen and Cairo because he was playing better than what Jake Neighbors was playing. So if Vladdy is back to this player, and look, that, that player's not going to be there for an entire season. Like, it's so hard to play Craig Berube-style hockey where you're checking all the time, going to the front of the net, you get beat up. But if he's back to that form on a consistent basis, you're not only talking about a guy who could score 35 for you this season, but you're also talking about a guy who makes you the clear-cut favorite, not just in the Central, but in the Western Conference. I, I agree with you. I think if he plays like this, you're talking about not only are you you're running four lines deep like you talked about, like the Avalanche did last year. I mean, you're talking about, because I still think he'll be on the third line when Buchnevich comes back, even though yeah. he played really yeah. well. I, I think you look at that and you say, wow, we have the potential for a 30-goal scorer on our third line while he's here until we move him. I mean, that's an incredible feat to have. The only thing I would push back on is I still don't know if I put them as the favorite in the Central. I know Colorado hasn't looked good late, in Ve- or Vegas isn't even in the Central anymore, so never mind that point. But uh, well, They're in the West. I just... I just uh, <laughs> I, I look at the defense as the one thing that will still hold them back. I think with Vladdy playing well, it's great. But, you know, Vladdy, Vladdy's not going to be here all year. At least that seems to be the consensus among us What three. if I were to tell you that Bennington plays like a Vezina Cup winner this year? Then I would buy it, but I don't know if he's going to continue this pace. I mean, he faced, what, 43 shots last night? I mean, I don't. you can't be allowing that all, all year long. And I, I know that you look at the Coyotes game and you look at the Avs game and you go uh, – 
yeah, Bennington played well, but I mean, they did give up four goals. And I mean, say what you want, but a lot of them came from being in front of the net or letting their foot off the pedal. And that's a little concerning to me. I If, if he plays like a Vesna winner, then yeah, maybe you don't really need that defenseman. But I just don't know if he can do that for a full 82-game season. Yeah, there, there's still more to be seen on, on that end of things. But just speaking to the Vladimir Tarasenko point, I mean, if this is the guy that they're going to get for the rest of the season. I, I think it's kind of twofold for me. I still think you end up having to trade him, uh, whether that be in season or after the season. I do not believe that Vladimir Tarasenko is going to finish out his contract here in St. Louis. I just don't believe it. And so what it, what it does for you, if you're the blues is you can potentially go out there and acquire, whether it be a defenseman or another forward that you really like, depending on what the injuries look like later on this year, it allows you a lot of flexibility cap wise to, to maneuver throughout the rest of the season. The other thing that it does for next year, and this is more of a big picture point is it puts you back into the Matthew Kachuk sweepstakes, because if you remove Vladimir Tarasenko's full seven and a half million dollars from the cap sheet next year, well, guess what? We can just go ahead and bring on in an eight to nine million dollar player and you don't have to remove that much from your overall cap. And Matthew Kachuk now becomes a conversation once again. So big picture, that's what it does. It allows you flexibility moving forward with a big time potential addition. But for the here and now, what's this do? It buys you time. It buys you time where Oscar Sundquist is currently out and your team is playing at an incredibly high level. We got a text earlier, Alex, and I know you mentioned this off the air. Somebody said, hey, the Blues top line so far has been their worst line this year. I'm not sure if I agree with that or not, but if you even accept the premise of that point, what you're basically saying is the Blues are 3-0 and despite their top line being their worst performing line. Last year, if you got that out of their first three games, if there was just any period of time where the top line didn't perform, they were done. It was over because they didn't have the depth that they do now. So what Vladimir Tarasenko does is right now, while you've got Perron playing through injury, and while you've got Sonny up in the press box because he's recovering from his injury, he's by any time. He's allowing you to have a guy on the third line that is a really, really good goal scorer whenever he's right. And mentally, he looks right right now. The other thing, Alex, we talked a lot about what's this going to be like? What are his teammates going to do? What's the reaction going to be whenever he's around the team after the weird offseason that took place? Well, Jordan Bennington was asked about Vladimir Tarasenko's performance last night and Bennington is not a guy that expands very much on things in post-game interviews. He did on this, and I thought it was a really important thing to hear. Here's what Jordan Bennington had to say about Vladimir Tarasenko's performance. Just happy for him. Um, he's been working so hard, and it's been through a lot, and it's really, really uh, nice to see him be rewarded. And, uh, yeah, he's uh, can't say enough about that guy and, and his work ethic. And, and um, you know, we're all happy for him, and hopefully uh, there's more to come. He's, say, he's saying that, BK, because he knows the potential of this team with a healthy and happy Vladimir Tarasenko. I don't want to misread what we have seen over the last 24 hours from this. I think we, I, I don't know what Vladimir Tarasenko is going to be moving forward on the ice. I have no idea. I don't know if last night was a blip on the radar or if that's going to be what we're going to see consistently. I think there are questions on that. I think we can put to rest the idea that this is going to be a distraction. It's going to be a problem for the Blues. 100%. I don't think in that locker room they view it that way. And I think Jordan Bennington's quote gives me that indication. I think what we saw from Vladimir Tarasenko coming to Braden Shin's defense on the ice yesterday gives me that indication. And the way that he has seamlessly transitioned to regardless of where he's at in the lineup last night, he played a little bit, as you mentioned on the second line, he played on the third line. I think we can put that part of the conversation to rest. Don't know what he's going to be on the ice the rest of the year, but the, the question of what's he going to be in the locker room? 
I'm not even worried about it anymore, which is awesome because I thought it was going to be a conversation all year. Yeah, that was resolved when he showed up to training camp weeks before the season even started. Like that was resolved when Vladdy showed up just to skate with the guys because he knew he was going to be a part of this team. The question has never been, is Vladdy going to be a bad teammate? Because Vladdy has never been a bad teammate. The question has never been, is Vladdy wanting out because he's a bad teammate and he doesn't like the guys he's around? No, he loves his teammates. It's the medical part of things. That's why Vladdy requested the trade out of St. Louis and because he felt like he was being pushed. That's what the reports were when he wasn't 100%. This has nothing to do with this group of players. And yeah, that's a huge difference maker. Look, Vladdy's nickname when he was a rookie was Tank. Because he is such a big guy and he plays a heavy style of hockey. He shows that when he is on his game. Now, the one thing you need, need do need to remember is, and I think John Kelly mentioned this this morning with the morning show, there were 15 other scouts in the building last night. And it was on TNT, a national broadcast. I'm tinfoiling this one. I'm not giving you anything that's like actual proof. But Vladdy might have been playing a little bit more in this one because it was such a big stage and because he knew there there were a lot of those people around. But at the end of the day, this has nothing to do with Vladdy in a locker room. Vladdy is the consummate teammate. He always has been. He always will be. And the players want to see him succeed because that means they're that much closer to a Stanley Cup. Hey, the Blues Bud Light 14th Street Party presented by 101 ESPN is this Saturday outside of Enterprise Center. Fans with or without a ticket for the home opener that night are invited to join in on the pregame fun this Saturday afternoon. You can enjoy live music from the Steve Ewing Band. You can hear from Blues broadcasters. Have a chance to win Blues prizes throughout the day, plus the Bud Light Happy Hour pricing that you love. Bud Light Happy Hour, uh, the Bud Light 14th Street Party, Saturday afternoon, starting at 2 o'clock. Get the full details right now over at 101ESPN.com. In about 15 minutes or so, there's a clear lesson to be learned from other teams that are still remaining in the baseball postseason. We'll get to that coming up at 1 o'clock, but next, it's time to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Joshua here on 101 ESPN with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie T-Bone what you got for us man all right so a guy in I think this is in Turkey yeah Turkey he uh was he a guy or a turkey wow that was a bad 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 dad joke it was I know Uh, anyways so this guy in Turkey goes out has himself a nice evening gets some drinks and he wanders off into the woods and he doesn't call home, doesn't tell anybody where he is. So his wife calls the police, missing persons report, and they start the, a search party for the guy because she thinks he's missing. He's out in the woods. I guess he becomes sober or whatnot. I'd hope he's sober at this point. And he sees a search party going on. He's like, I'm going to be a good citizen. I'm going to join this search party <laughs> that I see. And then he starts hearing them kind of calling something out. And he's like, man, what is that they're calling out? That sounds like my name or that sounds familiar so he turns to somebody next to him and says hey by the way i joined the search party you know i just happened to see you guys doing it who are you guys looking for what are you guys looking for and they get and they tell him we're looking for you know alex ferrario and he goes wait a minute that's me who called the search party on me he found him 
himself at his own search party. How about that? That's tremendous. I Can really, you imagine being the guy next to him? Like, not being the guy who they're looking for, but being the guy who who's talking to that gentleman. Who has been out since 12 o'clock <laughs> the night before searching for been this individual. Walking around this damn wooded area for two hours and you're next to me. The thing I don't understand is don't never been on a search party before so maybe someone can like correct me if i'm wrong but don't you normally have like a photo of the person you're looking for i've never been in a search like, party I, either. at least in the movies but i i think in the movies they have like those the photo of the person I mean, they sure know the name they, i'm sure when they rally up the troops to talk about who they're looking for they have the picture but i don't know if they're carrying the picture See, i, I mean they always be, had a picture with no, you. i mean i think you're yelling the name you're Is not that, looking for somebody you're yelling for somebody then it looks even worse the guy standing next to him yelling his name yeah i'm looking for alex ferrario and then looks to his left yeah that ain't him right next Man, to that me. would be one hell of a prank but you would just get beaten up i feel like this is something that alex might do like go one missing of these on day- purpose? Yeah. One of these hey, days. Hey, I'd like to get rid of some responsibilities, like medical bills, man. I'm out. <laughs> I'll go missing for those. We're going to show up to work. It's going to be 11 a.m. We're ready to go. We're excited for Alex to walk through that door. Okay. And then Alex just doesn't show up. We're like, where'd Alex go? We call his wife. We're like, hey, you know, Alex didn't show up to the studio today. And she's going to tell us yeah, he didn't show up at home last night either. I was hoping you guys knew where he was at. And Alex is just going to be wondering. Just wandering around in South County, just having himself a grand old time, saying, I'm See, done. I, I'm out of here. I'm not coming medical back. Medical bills be damned. I'm getting rid of these responsibilities. See, I don't see Alex doing it. I see BK doing it yeah. because I know that they've sent a search party be- for yeah, him before. Say, who, who has Who's gone That's missing before somewhere? That's mm. not true. The, the search party was never called. We were uh, moments they away. They were called. We were moments away, but there was no wellness check. The first, the first part of the, of the search party yeah, was called. Look, well, look, the entire building was running down the halls yelling BK and nobody's around because he's sleeping oh, off like, a yoga session. Like uh, they do in Impractical Jokers when he's running around Larry? yelling for Larry. That's yeah. true. I can see Jamie doing that Why looking for BK. Why would you I would do this? Who do you think would come looking for me? Nobody. <laughs> it's Kara, Kara maybe. Worried about. Although Kara might be like, what's the... Uh, What's the life insurance yeah, policy? Yeah, what's the life insurance like? on this? 500K? <laughs> yeah, we'll let him go. She's not even the benefactor. I, t- I tell Katie mom. that all the time. When she's like, be careful driving. I say, hey, look, if I'm not, you're going to get 500K out of this. So there's nothing wrong with that. He's got better benefits than we do, Tanner. Don't Money we all bags. have the same benefits? No, apparently not. Can't you select your apparently benefits? Apparently not. Not on those. Oh, yeah. You, well, you guys need, you guys got cruddy life Boy, insurance. You have great insurance. So I know you make the big bucks and you have a Peloton. So I know you make the big bucks. <sighs> Man, I shouldn't have showed my hand. Now, if I go missing, your two prime suspects, ladies and gentlemen, are these two. I'm not going to see a penny of that money. You might. You think? Uh, you might. With what? Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm I Brandon dare Kiley. You. It's 12.58, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. So earlier today, we talked a little bit about the Cardinals offseason and what we think that they need to add based on what they currently have that's coming up from the minors. I think there's a clear lesson to be learned from the playoffs, and it applies to that decision. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. In the air, right field, hit well, and this one is up and out! A home run for Rosario! A three-run blast! It's not going to be a cycle, but he'll take that every day. Rosario with his second homer. A four-hit night. 
It had to be Jock Peterson yelling in the background. It sounds right. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of Turner Spores. Eddie Rosario with a big, big night for the Braves last night. He's had a great postseason for the Braves so far this year. And Alex, I think there's a lesson to be learned from what we've watched, not just from the Braves, but they're a big part of this. It's about the trade deadline. So is it listen to Ferrario when he says go get guys like Eddie Rosario and Adam Duvall? Well, there's that as well. Um, there's also the fact that the Braves were willing to go out there and upgrade the roster roster the way that they knew they needed to. And Brian Snicker talked about this yesterday. He talked about, you know, when we were at the deadline, that there were decisions that had to be made by our front office. And they didn't just go out there and add a little bit of talent. They added a bunch of guys. Here's what he had to say last night. You know, we got three major league outfielders, everyday guys. Now we got four of them. And I got to figure out how to make that work. And Rodriguez, too. I mean, we, we had some great, Alex did an unbelievable job for our club and showed those guys that, you know what, we're in this thing. We're real. And they all fit in. That's the thing. Every one of those guys came in and assimilated into our clubhouse and our team just effortlessly. I think what we can learn from the Braves, as we were talking earlier, what do you need to add? Is it the shortstop? Is it the bench bats? Is it uh, pitching? What do you need to go out and do? The lesson to be learned from the Braves is whatever you don't end up adding, like let's say they get that shortstop, Alex, and they, they go a little light on the bench bats and they go light on the pitching side of things. You can make that work as long as you are then willing to make the necessary upgrades in those areas if needed at the deadline. This can't be another year where they basically do nothing at the trade deadline because that's been the M.O. for the Cardinals now for almost a decade where they just don't make big in-season acquisitions. In particular, over the last five years, I know it ended up working out well this year with Jay Happ and John Lester. They were significant additions after the fact, but Man, next year, if this team's in real contention and they need to go out there and get a real DH where Nolan Gorman's good, but he's just not quite there yet uh, as a hitter, which is totally possible. Go out there and acquire the next year's version of Nelson Cruz. Do what the Rays did. If they need a, a fourth outfielder, go out there and get a Jock Peterson. If you need a fifth starter, well, instead of getting Jay Happ or John Lester, go a step above that. That's the one thing that I do think there's a lesson to be learned because the Red Sox did that. The Braves did that. The Dodgers made significant in-season additions. tried to do it. Those are the types of things you got to do. You got to be willing to make those additions if you are a team that's really competing for it all. Well, and you look at the Atlanta Braves, you know, what, what were they deficient in in the offseason before Ronald Acuna Jr. was hurt and before Marcelo Zuna was basically eliminated from their team this season? Where were they deficient? It was their bullpen, right? And they went with what they had after an offseason to figure it out, and it paid off for them. Like, it, they, they got them through what they needed to do, and they got to the trade deadline. The Ozuna scenario fell out, and then Ronald Acuna Jr. was hurt, and they, they addressed the area, the biggest area of weakness. And they didn't just address it with one player. They addressed it with, like, four players. It was Jock Peterson. It was Eddie Rosario. It was Adam Duvall. It was Jorge Soler. But then on top of it, they went back to the area that they were deficient in in the offseason by acquiring Richard Rodriguez from the Pirates. And then they added the backup catcher. Like, the trade deadline is basically you building up for a postseason run. And it's not so much of, oh, what do we need to do for a guy that's been injured? It's where are we weakest? And you can't just fix that by making one move. You can't just fix it by saying, oh, well, we acquired this guy and he's good to go for us now. You kind of have to bulk up in that. And that's before you get to the trade deadline, that's what your offseason is for. And frankly, that's why I've always said 
I think you need an offense more than you need pitching if you're the Cardinals. You need to bulk up in that area, whether it's one big bat or multiple bats. The offseason, we talked about with Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal about this today on the Danny Mac Show. The offseason to me is about the slog of the 162. How do we get to the end of the season in contention? And then the trade deadline is about maximizing what your roster is for the playoffs because they're almost two different sports right now. What we watch for 162 games in the regular season is pitchers that typically go six, seven innings more often than not. And then you go to your bullpen for the last three innings in the playoffs. I mean, you guys are watching these games. Our audience is watching these games. It's like two to three innings that you're getting out of your starters. I think there's only been three. I saw the number yesterday. I think it was three or four starters have gone five innings this postseason. Well, but look at last it. night with Houston Astros. Yeah, I mean, and, and he it's said, I'm openers. Going. Like it, it's everything. Everything changes once you get to the playoffs. And these these managers, it's almost a little over aggressive. I think. I think we've swung maybe too far in that direction. But I get it. I understand what you're trying to accomplish with that. So you've got to really push yourself when you get to the deadline to ask yourself, are we prepared for that? Are we prepared for the gauntlet of getting through the postseason and the rigors of that? And the answer is probably no for most teams, not just the Cardinals, but for most teams. And then you got to go get those reinforcements. What are the things that you need to be able to play this version of modern baseball? And if that means more pinch hitters, go get them. If that means more relievers, go get them. Whatever it is that you need to be able to get through the postseason, that is what the trade deadline is for. And that's why I think the Cardinals this offseason, as I take a little bit of a step back, I keep coming back to the shortstop. Because that's what you're going to need to get through 162. You need the shorts up. And you do need some depth. And those guys can come via one-year deals for cheap money. But I think that's the way you fill the holes with your bench bats, maybe. Or your back into the rotation slash swing guys in the bullpen. I think this offseason should all be about how do we get that shortstop? How do we plug the biggest hole on our roster right now? Because that's going to make the biggest impact over 162. Because that's why this offseason, you need to take advantage of that because you can't just treat this offseason like, well, let's just plug in a couple of holes with some minor moves and hope our young guys pay off. Well, guess what? It's rare that you see a Trey Turner move for the Cardinals at the trade deadline where you go and acquire that guy that plugs the hole for you. You plug that hole in the offseason with one of the names that are available with a historic offseason with so many options out there, and then you go with the youth to complement that. And if that doesn't pay off, if those guys aren't prepared, then the trade deadline comes because it Absolutely. is a lot easier to add bench bats and complementary pitching than have to go find that big get on the free agent market. And to that point, the other thing you can do, if if the young players aren't working out and we get to June, July, whatever it is, and we're like, okay, it's it's probably time to turn the page here. Nolan Gorman, Juan Yepes, it was good to see what they could do as a designated hitter, but it's failed. You can send them down. You, you don't lose them. Just send them down to the minors and you get them a little bit more seasoning. And whether that means for a late season call up again, or if that means waiting until 2023 to find out what they really are. And if they're prepared, then that's fine. No harm, no foul. You Same found with, out what they could do, and you send them down. Same with Gorman. Exactly. If you do that with a DH that you go sign, though, $10, 15000000 million this offseason, you go out there and get Nelson Cruz or whoever your favorite guy is for that spot, well, what do you do then? Now you're stuck with a 10 or $15 million player, and we know this team, they're probably not going to remove him from the roster. Now you're stuck with that guy in her 26-man roster, and whether he becomes a bench bat or whatever – 
Now you still got to fill that hole with less roster flexibility in terms of the money you have available to spend. Just makes everything a little bit more difficult with the pieces that you can acquire at the deadline. Yeah, it makes so much sense to make that one big move, as you said, Alex, to kind of plug the biggest hole on your roster, which is shortstop, plug it in the offseason, and then use the first, what, three, four months of the season as kind of a trial period. That, To me, that makes the most sense. I just can never buy into the fact that the Cardinals are going to be willing to do it because they historically haven't. But I agree with you. That makes the most sense, especially when you look at the Braves who go out and acquire four outfielders at the trade deadline, and they didn't give up anything of significant value. I mean, they gave up a couple prospects, but they're low-end prospects because I think all these guys are one-year rentals minus Duvall. I think he's got an option. And then I can't. I don't know if there was a team this year that loaded up on bullpen help, but you can do that as well. There are you can get mid-level relievers and maybe even a high-level reliever. This year felt like it was more about the starters than the relievers, but most years those guys are available. And there's usually that one team that does it that loads up on bullpen arms. I think the Reds did it a little bit, but they didn't end up making the playoffs, so it's not as noticeable. So yeah, I'm with you. Plug the hole in the offseason, your biggest hole. Sign the big shortstop makes the most sense, and then use the first couple months as a trial heading into the deadline. And we've mentioned the fact that the Cardinals have not really had those big midseason acquisitions in recent years. To be fair to them, and listen, I'm not putting a cape on for John Mosellock's midseason acquisitions, but just to to give the other side, I mean, in 2016, they were 17 and a half games back of the division lead and won 86 games. They did not make the playoffs. 2017, 83 and 79 finished nine games back of the division. 2018, they were 88 and 74, finished seven and a half games back again, didn't make the postseason. And then you've got 2019. Last year was the weird year. And then this year, nobody saw that September run coming at that point in time. They were pretty far back in the playoff run. I think there's a lot of general managers that wouldn't have made big moves with those seasons maybe the one year that you would say is an exception to that was 2019 but even then they made a run late in the season to get to where they were 2015 the last time that they really had a team that was going for it was that not the season am, am i wrong on this that, that they got john lackey or was 20, that 2014 they acquired him in 14 they yeah. acquired lackey so 2014 you finish the year winning 90 games you go to the nlcs you acquire john lackey that's a big in-season acquisition. You know, that's probably the last time that they really made one of those. Um, so this year, they're going to have their feet held to the fire. If it's mid-July, the team is on pace to win 95 games. They're in first place in the NL Central. Yeah, th- this is the first year where I'm going to be like, it is necessary for you to make those big in-season acquisitions because now is the time to really go for it. It doesn't mean you're giving up Jordan Walker or Mason Wynn. But you can get guys that are the next tier below that that you just got to give up a mid-tier prospect for. This is the year where you do that. And you bring that up. Part of this does go on the players for the Cardinals in those years because you got to give the front office a reason to do it. And this year, they didn't really have the reason to go out and make that big move. And part of that was because the front office was thinking, well, we were thinking 2022 is our year. But if that team plays a lot better heading up to the trade deadline, I would expect John Mosellock to make a bigger move than John Lester and Jay Happ and uh, who else did they acquire? I think those were the two. Yeah, those were two. But I I would expect him to do that. It comes down to the players. Can you prove to the front office in the first half this quote-unquote trial run that you guys are good enough for us to really add the pieces? And over the last couple of years, sure, John Mosellock, can you hold him a little bit under the fire for not making that move? Yeah, but I don't think the teams that he assembled really gave him much choice. He had to kind of hold back a little bit. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, the Blues are talking about Jake Neighbors in a way that is exceedingly rare. And I thought Jeremy Rutherford made a great point about that yesterday. But coming up next, 
the quarterback carousel is now entering the regular season. This is really rare, and something looks like it might be going down here pretty soon with Deshaun Watson. What does it mean for Tua Tungavailoa's future? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. carousel was supposed to take place in the offseason and in some ways it did you said carousel yeah carousel carousel i don't know what i said you got like a country accent carousel Well, quarterbacks change teams in the offseason. There were a lot of them. (laughs) And now there's going to be another one that it looks like is going to be switching teams in season. Indeed. Deshaun Watson, all the reports coming out of Houston is that they're expecting a deal to be completed by the end of the week. And if it does not, it will at least be done by the end of or prior to the trade deadline with the Miami Dolphins. Hey, now. So the Dolphins look like they're all in on this. It sounds like the Dolphins owner is the one that's really spearheading this. The general manager and head coach, according to reports out of Miami, are both on the hot seat currently, which makes sense given the fact that their head coach said earlier this year he is not interested in making a change at quarterback. And now it looks like the change is going to be made at quarterback. So are you guys surprised? But like, I don't think Tua was awful. I think Tua's been fine. I think he's proven to me that he's not a winning, a Super Bowl caliber. But has he proved it? Or, I mean, kind of the team around him's proved that also. Like, it hasn't all just been on the fact that Tua hasn't been good. I don't think this is Tua's fault. No. I don't think any of this is Tua's fault. I think he's been fine. I think he's still trying to figure his way back from what was a potentially career ending injury for most guys. Let's start with the Deshaun Watson portion of this. I'm going to say this up front. I don't know how any team can possibly trade for him right now. 100% agree. I don't understand how you can come up with what is the correct compensation for a guy that I have no idea if he's ever going to play football again or what all of this stuff is off of the field and how that is going to be um, decided. That's the first portion of this. If we move on from that, which is hard to do because that's the backdrop of everything whenever you're talking about a Deshaun Watson trade, the Miami Dolphins, if... Deshaun Watson is able to play, and we set aside all of that other stuff off of the field. This is not even close to a championship roster right now, but Deshaun Watson's a championship-level quarterback. I thought Deshaun Watson was going to be the guy that would go head-to-head most years with Patrick Mahomes if he was in a winning organization. So I get why you would want that talent on your team, but Alex, how do you feel about the fit specifically with the Dolphins? Again, setting aside the off-field stuff, while understanding, I don't know how you possibly make that deal because of it. I, I mean, frankly, that's where I'm at too. Like, one, I, I just don't know how you how you sell that to your organization and your fans by acquiring somebody like that. Not just because of the past, but also because you don't even know if he's going to play this year. Like, hey, we just traded a guy who we drafted. What was it? First overall, second overall, and we traded him for a guy that hasn't played at all this season and probably won't play until the NFL figures that out. But with that being said, I don't know if I agree with they're not a a championship caliber team. Now, they're they're nowhere near the level of the Buffalo Bills or the Baltimore Ravens or the Chargers. Those are the three teams that I would say are, are the are the favorites right now in the AFC. But if you put Deshaun Watson in if he plays on that team, win healthy with that receiving core on top of their defense when with healthy with two of the best cornerbacks on that roster, I would say they're probably on the same level as the Chiefs, wouldn't you? No. Really? If you're telling me Xavier Howard and Byron Jones are available for Miami Dolphins defense and Deshaun Watson's playing with their their wide receivers available, 
And for how bad Kansas City's defense has been, you're saying they're not at the same level? No. Uh, their offensive line is an absolute disaster. And I, it just takes some time. I mean, maybe they could get there. These things flip so quickly. The, the Bills went from being a middling team in the AFC to being a championship contender in the AFC in like two years. So the Dolphins could get there. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them get there within the next couple of seasons. But right now, no, I'm not there just yet. I think they need to upgrade the offensive line first. I, I think there's some other upgrades that need to be taking place on the defensive side of the ball. That's been the biggest disappointment to me. Their defense just hasn't been very good this year. Um, so I, I wouldn't have them there, but I I get why you would want to make this deal from a pure football perspective. It gets you closer. He's better than Tua. He's one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL when he's healthy and playing. So I, I get that portion of it for sure. Uh, is this someone texted in the Air Comfort Service text line? Tua was the only starting quarterback not named a captain by his teammates. Is that true? Uh, I think he's one. I, I, I don't know if that's 100% accurate, say, but it sounds right. Yeah, I mean there's your telling sign right now. I mean, Tua can not look bad all we want, but if his teammates don't even want him or like him, you got to make the move. I don't think it's about like. I think it's just, just he's a kid. Yeah. Very young Yeah, but your quarterback's, quarterback. your, your quarterback's your captain, no matter if he's a kid or not, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to read too much into that. I mean, it might be true, but I, I, I think it, this is an ownership decision is what this is. Let's go to the Tua conversation, though, because – whether you're in or out on Tua right now, he was the number two overall pick very recently. And now it seems like nobody wants him. The Texans have been pushing out that they're not interested in Tua. Like he's not going back to Houston in this deal. The Broncos were reportedly interested, and now it sounds like they're not interested. Washington, at first it came out, hey, Washington might be a landing spot. Now it's saying, or people are saying that Washington. Well, well, we got Taylor Heineke. We don't need Tua. They're not interested apparently either. If Tua is available for basically nothing, they're just giving him away. Who are the teams that you think should be interested? The Battle Hawks. Pittsburgh. A hundred percent Pittsburgh. If the Steelers aren't calling about this and saying, hey, what do you want? Yeah, we'll give that to you then they're they're in denial of the fact that they think Dwayne Dwayne Haskins, the first name alone tells you he's not their quarterback. Like say Dwayne without making it sound like you're being a smart ass. Say it. I'm not going there say with it. you, buddy. Say it. I'm, I'm not getting it. We can keep going, but I'm not going there. <laughs> I, I think another team that should be calling about if two is on the market that you want to look at Detroit should be interested in a young quarterback like that because Jared Goff's not going to be their quarterback moving forward. I don't know when you can cut him and his dead cap's not going to be extremely bad, but he's not the guy. If you're Detroit, give him a shot. Bring in Tua, bench Goff, and let's see what you have for the rest of the year. Totally agree with both of those. Another one that I would add, and I don't think they're going to be interested, but just one team that I think could could be of interest in this. Uh, the Colts, if he's get, if they're giving him away for nothing, this is not something that you would like if it's a fifth or sixth round conditional pick is what what I'm talking about. He's on a rookie deal still. He's super cheap. And if you don't fully buy into the fact that Carson Wentz is going to be healthy moving forward, and I don't know how you possibly could believe that he's going to be healthy. I think Indianapolis should get in on this because worst case scenario, you've got a great backup. It's a great backup situation for you. Best case scenario is that. He becomes your starter moving forward. So the Colts would be another team that I would add to this list. I think the Broncos should at least be listening right now. I'm surprised that it came out that they're not interested. Same thing for Washington. I think if you're Philly, you've at least got to make some calls to see, hey, what's what's the asking price looking like right now? If you're a team that doesn't have a guaranteed starter moving forward, or if you've got an older veteran, I think that this is the type of thing that you should be getting in on right now, if the price is as low as it seems to be. Another one I think that 
should consider this is uh, the New York Giants. Daniel Jones isn't the guy, in my opinion, and he's he, he, next year. Next year's the last year of his uh, rookie deal at eight million dollars. So bring in Tua. Basically, there's your competition for next season, or hell, maybe even this season. And if Jones isn't the guy, you know you don't have to re-sign him. And I don't think Jones is the guy, and I can't see how the Giants would be willing to give him a big contract anyway. I'm not sure if this team has any picks left after they've made already a couple of trades this year. What about Carolina? Sam Darnold has proven to me over the last couple of weeks he's not the long-term answer there. And I think they're going to be interested in um, Aaron Rodgers this offseason. But I think Carolina would be another one that I I would at least find out what Tua's got. I think the teams that sit in kind of like Carolina spot that are like 500, like the Broncos, have their sights more set on the Rodgers sweepstakes rather than, and maybe even the Watson sweepstakes. Both, things don't right? Acquire Tua in. Yeah, go, go find out what Tua is for the rest of this season. If it's not there for you, next offseason you can move on. I think I would rather just not even worry about bringing into it and just look to start preparing how I'm going to go get Aaron Rodgers. Cause I don't think Green Bay's not going to want a quarterback in return because they're going to turn to Jordan love, I believe. So, I mean, there's no need to bring into a figure out what he is and then move him If, if you need to in that deal, just wait it out and then go see if you can make that big deal next year. What about the Browns? Ooh, that's an interesting one. I mean, cause he's a, he's a free agent after this year and he hasn't played like he's going to get paid. Like he wants to get paid. That's a good one. I mean, and if, it's insurance for uh, – we don't know if Baker is going to be healthy again this year. That's Frank, a really good frankly, one. Frankly, I feel like if you're going to try and continue to compete with that defense and your offense around it, you'd want a younger guy, and maybe you can get Tua kind of on board he, with the system. Good offensive line, great running game, good situation. Yeah, he doesn't have to be the hero for that team. He can just be a complimentary piece. A lot of play action. He actually plays pretty similarly to the way that Baker Mayfield does. That – stylistically it team. makes a lot of sense and not only is it that you, you can avoid the big contract with Baker, you could avoid the big franchise tag too because that seems to be the route that they're going is they really don't have a solution at quarterback i don't know if they would be in on the roger sweepstakes so what are they going to do franchise him for a year see if he can do it again if you can get two of then you can probably just say all right see you baker we're gonna give two of the yeah. reins for this show man that's a really interesting one I hadn't even thought about it but that makes a lot of sense it might be the one that uh, that might be the dark horse i think it would have to be like a conditional draft pick mid-round pick, third-rounder if he starts the rest of the season for us. If it's not, maybe it goes fourth or fifth-rounder, which seems kind of crazy given the fact that he was just a first-round pick last year, but that may be where his value currently lies. If that's what it is, for the Browns, if you're in a championship window and you think that you're you're not sure what the help looks like moving forward for Baker Mayfield, that makes a lot of sense. Saints is an interesting one, too, Textline brought up. They don't really have. I don't think Hill's the guy, and I definitely don't think Winston's the yeah, guy. I don't, but I feel like they do. I feel like they feel like Winston's the guy. I think that's one that I just I don't know what's what New Orleans is trying to do right now. I don't have a good grasp for any of it because I've never felt like Taysom Hill is the guy. But I I don't know how they feel right now about Jameis with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kyle. We'll cross things over with the fast lane in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, the Blues are talking about Jake Neighbors in a way that. They really never talk about young players. We'll tell you why next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Been covering the Blues about 16 years. Maybe there's been a player or two over the years, young guy where the general manager or the coach went along with the hype. Yeah, good player. He's going to be a good one. I've never seen anything like this with Jake Neighbors. I mean, Craig Berube nearly goes out of his way to give this guy compliments. 
Jeremy Rutherford was on with the fast lane yesterday, and they asked him about Jake Neighbors. That was his response. Alex, he said he's never heard the Blues talk about any young player the way that they're talking currently about Jake Neighbors, and it's deserved. Jake Neighbors, so far, what we've seen from him is that he's been incredibly effective. Now, last night, I do think, first of all, I'm glad they put him up there on that second line to find out where he's at right now. What is the ceiling for where you are currently? And I think we found out right now he's a good fourth line player. And man, as an eight or a 19 year old kid, that is a hell of a thing to be able to say about about Jake Neighbors. I think that's what he's going to be for this team this year. A super effective, almost overqualified fourth line player, along with Clem Costin and Tyler Bozak. And to be able to have that guy on the contracts that they have him on currently, this is a huge development for the Blues. You need players like Jake Neighbors to come through your system to allow you to have the flexibility to do some things that are more expensive, more costly over the long term for your top couple of lines. That's how you keep the winning window open. I mean, you look at years past when, when teams were successful in multiple years. I mean, you look at the Chicago Blackhawks when they won so much. Like, they're paying a lot of guys heavy money, but because the was younger of Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane and Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook, you were able to acquire a Marion Hosa, right? The same with the Pittsburgh Penguins. When Crosby and Malkin were so good, you were able to have some of the younger players that complimented them. So this is how you keep the window open. And I played that cut on pregame last night because it caught me too. Uh, JR saying that, and look, JR has been co- covering this team for a long time. Like he's seen a lot of guys come through the system, but to, to say that he's never heard a coach talk so highly of a player and what made it even more interesting for me is the type of coach Craig Berube is. Like Craig, Craig Berube is not one to sit there and gush over a player. Even if a player has a good game, oh yeah, he was a really good tonight. You know, he was solid on the four check. You know, hopefully it continues. He was good. That's what he does. I played a clip of Craig Berube from a couple of days ago after practice talking about Jake Neighbors because it was a minute and 15 <laughs> seconds talking about how good Jake Neighbors is and how he's matured. Like he went through specifically. And the part that got me was he talks more about how he is off of the ice. He keeps calling him a good kid, responsible, polite, um, understands where his place is with the group, but looks towards the veterans. I mean, to have the head coach gushing about you like this, it is very impactful. And I think that's why you're getting the, the play of Jake neighbors, because he knows that his coach and his teammates are behind him. Jake neighbors got time on the PK this year. He's got every every game he's been on the PK. I that never happens. That never happens with a young player of this age, 19 years old to come in and immediately play on the PK. And he's not like one of your top penalty killers, nor should he be. But that's where the trust comes in. That's where you find out, Okay, in terms of the responsible forwards, where is he at right now? If he's not getting any time on the PK, I wouldn't blame Craig Burby for that. The fact that he is, though, tells you a ton about the amount of trust. So it's not just the word. It's also the action. And for them to put him up there on the second line to start out the game last night, it's another action that shows you where they're at with Jake Neighbors. It's not just they're saying these things publicly and then behind the scenes are like, ah, we're impressed, but he's he's still a fourth line guy. We're not really sure what he's going to be moving forward. No, they believe in him. He's going to be here the entire season. I know he's on technically that nine-game tryout right now before they have to decide whether or not he goes back down to juniors. That's not going to happen. He's yeah. going to be with this team for the long time. You know why I know that? Because teams that have the nine-game trial, it's rare that they play them in three straight games, especially with the depth that this team has. Like I'll go back to Robert Thomas. He played a couple of games and then sat for a couple of games because they wanted to extend that a little bit. And that was a team that wasn't anywhere as deep as the Blues are right now. 
They played him three consecutive games with a nine-game tryout. They're not worried about it. If he continues to play this way, and again, watch the reaction of his teammates when he does something good or when he lays a big hit. They love him. They love him around this team. Joey's talked about that as well. So I've been sold after that Colorado game that he's not going anywhere. He's going to finish this year with the team. I wanted to ask you about one other young player that stood out to me last night, and that's Jake Wallman. Because there were moments when he was getting time with Colton Pareko as the top pairing defenseman for the Blues. What have you seen so far from Jake Wallman? I think Jake is... He's kind of in he's out of he's in this weird area right now for Blues fans because Blues fans expect to see that heavy physical brand of hockey on the blue line and that's not how they're developed right now. I think Jake Wallman fits into exactly what Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong wanted this team to be. Fast. We opened up the show and you talked about how they're they're so good on the transition right now in these three games. That's because of a guy like Jake Wallman. And you know what I really like about Jake? It's the fact that he he knows his place on the ice, but he also kind of takes a little bit of a leadership role on the ice. Like last night and against the Coyotes, he'd get into the offensive zone and he'd demand the puck on his stick. He would get in a position to put the puck on the net and he would be smacking his stick on the ice calling for it. Like you don't see younger guys on the defensive side doing that when you have a veteran-filled lineup. So... I like the way he plays. I don't know if he's ever going to be a top four defenseman, but I think he is a really good. He reminds me a lot of what Joel Edmondson was without the physicality. He's not going to bring the physicality that Joel Edmondson did, but he's going to come onto the scene a little bit out of nowhere like Joel Edmondson did his first couple of seasons. Do you feel like he's now carved out a role that he's going to be again? Like you said, maybe he's not a top four pairing defenseman, but could he be a guy that is consistently in the lineup now? I know last year he was in and out, in and out. Is he going to be a, a stalwart on that third pairing for you this year? I, I think so, as long as he continues to play well on the penalty kill. And obviously they have some trust in him because you said it. Uh, Jake Wallman was playing with Colton Pareko for a little bit last night. I wouldn't be surprised to see Nico Mikola get into a game either Saturday or Monday because he wants to keep these guys fresh. Maybe it's Portuzo that sits. Maybe it's Jake Wallman that sits. The problem for Jake Wallman in terms of establishing himself as an everyday player is this team's really deep on the left side. Someone's got to play the right side between him, Nico Mikola, and Scott Perunovic, who has been playing really well in two games for Springfield. So it's hard for me to say that he's established himself as an everyday player. I think right now he has, but I, I do think it's still a revolving door on that third pair to try and find out what sticks. For right now, it's working. You're 3-0. and You're not going to change anything, but you're still trying to find somebody who kind of takes the role and runs with it, and right now, Jake Wallman's doing it. Hey, you can join Jamie Rivers, Donnie Fandango, and Jeff Burton for a very special live last-minute blues podcast with blues legend Brett Hall next Saturday afternoon at Brett Hull's Junction House in Winsville. Jamie, Donnie, and Jeff sitting down with Hully for a live conversation and a Q&A on stage. Get there as early as 2 o'clock. Grab a seat. Get entered to win some awesome blues giveaways. Plus, enjoy the signature cocktail menu and the wide variety of other food items over at Junction House. A live, uncensored, last-minute blues podcast with Brett Hull coming up on Saturday at 3 o'clock. Get all of the details now at 101ESPN.com. We'll cross things over with the Fast Lane coming up next. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN.
Garland, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. We reacted quite a bit to what Brad Thompson had to say yesterday about Nolan Gorman and Juan Yepes and what the Cardinals could do in the offseason. Brad Thompson joins us now in studio. BT, what's going on, man? Not much, fellas. What are you guys kicking around? So I loved what you had to say yesterday about the Cardinals' options going into the offseason and how you, you could just promote from within, basically. You've got Juan Yepes. You've got Nolan Gorman. You've got Lars Newport. Yeah. DH, corner outfield, fourth outfielder opportunities there. I, I think that's... I was hesitant on this at first, and the more I've thought about it, the more it's like, man, just go with it. And if it doesn't work, you can always do what the Braves did at the deadline, where you can go find these fourth outfielder slash DH types, and you can add them at the deadline if you need to. But it might work. And if it does, now you could hit the jackpot where you can go get that shortstop. That's where you spend your money. You help with your pitching side of things. And now you've got the bench bats that are cheap, cost-controlled. They're around for a while. I think it makes a lot of sense. And they're interchangeable. And I'm glad that you hit on the other spot because if if somebody's just tuning in right now and say, whoa, 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 promote from within, that's not going to cover everything. You're just thinking, no, no, no. The caveat is a shortstop would be nice to have and solidifying your starting pitching. I I really do believe that that is a necessity. But it is nice to, first of all, like how are these guys going to get opportunities if you don't give them to them? Like Juan Yepes got put on the roster for the wild card game. I know he didn't get a chance to play, but you had to protect him anyhow. You might as well find out what he could do. The guy smashed in AAA this year. Let's find out. Like bring him into spring training and see what he's got. Now he's right-handed. I would love a left-handed compliment. Hello, Nolan Gorman. Like I I think that he's a good fit. We've seen uh, what Lars uh, Newbar can do at the big league level he's also showing off some power in the arizona fall league averages down a little bit but you know what the skill set is there and maybe you utilize him more as that platoon guy and to your point look the the idea of having interchangeable pieces that aren't making a ton of money where you can option somebody back and you could try somebody else out you can always pivot to to your point at the the uh, deadline it's nice to have flexibility in spots like that. But who knows? Like, maybe that shortstop isn't going to be there for the Cardinals. Sure. Or it'll be there, but maybe it won't huh. be there at the price that they want it to be at. Well, then I think that that's where you have to change. I think that you also you have to look at that and say, all right, well, I need more of a sure thing in maybe my fourth outfielder. Or I need more of a sure thing for my DH spot that we're all expecting to have happen. If you're not spending 20 plus million dollars on a shortstop, there should be some money to move around there. Would pitching be your least concern in an offseason in terms of depth compared to offense, shortstop, and DH? Uh, no, no. It's honestly one of my biggest concerns, really. Uh, so, shortstop, if I'm just picking, you're g- giving me my like druthers of which way I can go. I would spend money on a shortstop first. And I'm not trying to like, this isn't disrespect to Paul DeYoung or Edmundo Sosa. I know there's more there in Paul DeYoung. Maybe it needs to happen somewhere else. Like maybe, maybe that ends up being, and he can unlock himself somewhere else. Uh, but it, it's not even about those two guys. It's about the market that is there. I mean, right. look at all the shortstops that are available. They're better than pretty much all of the yeah, teams have in baseball. Maybe a C shortstop position right now relative to the rest of the league. Yeah. And there's a guys that are out there. Sure. So the, the difference between those two is, probably marginally the biggest that you could upgrade at any position and i do think too that there are only going to be so many teams that are going to be willing to spend that kind of money so maybe that market gets driven down a little bit due to the influx of all the shortstops so that's number one for me but number two honestly before uh the the dh in the outfield is pitching i think they need another starting pitcher and i I was hyping this guy up a little bit yesterday but marcus stroman really interests me like uh, with this defense that this team has now i don't think they're going to drop 20 million dollars into a starting pitcher either and that's kind of where 
Mark you think he'd get that much? Yeah. He's probably going to be right around there. Yeah. I mean, chances are still young enough. He's been fairly durable. Uh, so I, I think that uh, I think that he'll be in that conversation. But it's important. Like when, when I look at this rotation, I like it. Like Jack Flaherty, hopefully he comes back healthy. I don't think we saw the best Jack down the stretch. I think he came back, did as much as he could. Uh, a good, healthy offseason would be great. Love what we saw from Dakota. Wayno, love what we saw. And uh, very positive what we saw from Miles Michaelis. And I, and I get it. That's four spots right there. And you're thinking, well, what do you do with Reyes? And what about these other guys? Matthew Libertor, are you going to give him a shot? Or is it Woodford? Is it Oviedo? No. Like, like to me, it, it probably should be somebody outside of the organization. Because we thought that the Cardinals had so much starting yep. pitching last year. And then you found yourself in a bit of a, a pickle, right? Uh, I, I think that they have the opportunity here to just not get in a spot like that. And when you do that, when you add to that group... To me, it just makes your bullpen better. Like, like that's they, what they, I was going to ask you. Is Woodford, Oviedo, Reyes? Those are those guys bullpen options for you? They're all options. Yeah, I, I'd rather have Oviedo and AAA starting. Yeah. I want him lengthened out. And honestly, I feel the same thing about Woodford. Probably, if if I could do that, because then I'd. I know at least four of my starters sitting there in AAA waiting would be two left-handers that aren't on the 40-man yet and Zach Thompson and Matthew Libertor, but then I'd have Oviedo and Woodford. Like, that's a good safety that's net. Vintage to, to, 2015 yeah, Cardinals. To have lengthened out, ready. Whoever the hot hand is, boom, bring them up. Uh, but then Reyes goes back into my bullpen, and however, you know, I don't know how people are feeling about Reyes in the bullpen due to the fact that the last thing you saw was the, <laughs> the uh, home run from Chris Taylor, and we saw a few struggles down the stretch. But that dude's incredibly talented. And I know that he wants to be a starting pitcher. I just wouldn't want to go into the season next year saying, all right, well, this for sure. Like, we're just going to give Alex the, the job or we're, you know, heavily leaning his way. If he's unreal in spring training, then you make another hard decision. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the way that I would look at it. I think that what, what I loved about the way you guys framed the conversation was, okay, let's say you got $35 million to spend. How are you spending it? Because that's the reality is the Cardinals are going to have a budget this offseason. And this is not what you said with the internal promotions is not them going cheap. You're still spending the same amount of money. It's about where you decide to allocate those resources. Do you do it with one lump sum in your shortstop position where you spend in 20, 20, 25 million dollars there and then sprinkling the 10 million dollars with depth into your rotation, the bullpen? Do you go with uh, some pieces on the roster in terms of position player side and then maybe a big piece that goes into your rotation or do you just you get like seven different guys that make around five million dollars there's a a million different ways they could go about this and it's about what do you think is the best way to spend that specific amount of money that you have available to you and i'm with you i loved the idea of going with hey let's get the 20 million dollar shortstop bring him in here probably trevor story i think he's the one that's probably going to be around that range and let's figure out what to do around there let's find these tertiary pieces that mo has been pretty good over the years of finding um, I, I think that's the best route for them. It's easy forward. from in here, isn't it? It's so like great. We just picked up Corey Seager, and then we'll piece all the other yeah. stuff together, and maybe we'll oh. sprinkle in I a starter this, if you I can. I do this on MLB The Show all the time, BT. This is really awesome easy. You trade Paul DeYoung. You're able to get even better in terms of the, yeah. the bullpen there. Probably you get grab monster prospects for him, too. It'd be great. No, I'd trade great. Paul DeYoung straight up for Corey Seager. It's simple. I got a feeling having the office is a little bit more difficult, but this is This, this is much more. Because yeah, you, when you're in the office, they actually have to say yes. 
Like the other teams yeah. have to accept the offer, yeah. and the other players have you to say yes, I'm accepting that offer. Yeah, you force it. Yeah, that's With how that fear. Works. BT, what's coming up from two to six today, man? Man, just uh, wall to wall. We're gonna talk about the Blues. We're gonna talk about. Uh, I asked somebody to bring his Liberty Bells to the game last night, and they did. You know, Flatty, number ninety-one, he stepped up for you. So we'll talk about him. Uh, we'll break it all down. We got uh, your boy Chris Kerber is gonna be on in the Fantastic. five o'clock hour. Just getting back in from Vegas. All kinds of good stuff today. Looking forward to that. That's coming up from two to six. Be sure. You're tuning in at 5 o'clock. The Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, coming up. We will be back tomorrow at 10, an extended edition of BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. By the way, I don't appreciate the ripping on the Red Solo Cup because that's... uh, Who cares about the Red Solo Cup? Red Solo Cup. Okay. (laughs) I fill you up. Let's have a party. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. The Wendy's $3 breakfast deal is here. Get a bacon or sausage egg and Swiss croissant plus a small seasoned potatoes. That's a better breakfast for just three bucks in three easy steps. One, wake up. Two, get out of bed. And three, head to Wendy's for your $3 breakfast deal. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's $3 breakfast deal. Limited time only. Participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Select or request $3 breakfast deal in order to obtain discount. Not valid for all card or combos orders. Price and participation may vary in Alaska and Hawaii.